friends and fellow Buffy lovers, and welcome to our podcast, where we discuss each episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in detail, focusing on digging deep into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing. I'm Leah. I'm Sarah. I'm Tabby. And this is Becoming Buffy. Welcome back to Becoming Buffy. Uh, today we are talking about bad eggs, and we also have someone special here with us. We have our friend Bex, Bangle Insurgent. Hi, Bex. Hi. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming and talking about everything Buffy with us. Um, Bex, you want to introduce yourself and kind of like give us a little bit background about who you sure. are? Sure. Um, so I'm Bex. I've been watching Buffy since I was uh 14 like back when it was airing i am oh, wow. old um you have us all beat i am an old lady um and i stopped watching sometime around season like mid season 5 or just after season 5 because i just you know got distracted with other life things and then during covid lockdown i'm in the uk um last year i was like i'm going to rewatch buffy um, and so I find I watched the whole thing again and finally watched the final two seasons. So that was interesting and awesome. And now I'm <laughs> as obs- <laughs> now I am as obsessed with it now as I was when I was 14, which I did not see coming, but I'm right back there. And now I'm on a podcast it's about so Bobby. How that happened? Yeah, I realized that you rewatched it just this past year. I thought, like, because we like follow your accounts, I thought that it, like, you had been obsessed with it for like a long time because you know a lot about the show. <laughs> like, you know, like, so probably way more than I do. Um, so I was just like, for some reason, I was like, oh, like she's been like watching it like over and over for years. So that's cool that you like rewatched it this past year and yeah, watched I- for the first time season six and seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I surprised myself with how much I remembered. Like while I was watching it, I was like, this, yes. Oh my God, this happens. Ah. <laughs> and then because I just fell straight back in love with it, I like hit the internet hard and was like, tell me all of the information about everything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the thing about the beauty about Buffy, and we've talked about it before, is that it really appeals to so many different age groups. It's obviously starts out as a coming of age story mm-hmm. and um in high school and then you know it moves past that but buffy just i mean you have joyce you have giles you have so many of these adult characters that become really well fleshed out and it's relatable to you know everybody from high school age and on and i i think that's really cool that you rediscovered it yeah and it's also so nice to realize that there are still like 13 and 14 year olds discovering it now mm-hmm. like yeah. i kind of came back to the fandom yeah. assuming it was just going to be me and a bunch of other 35 year olds but <laughs> yeah. the internet is full of like teenagers yeah. who are like oh my god i've just found this amazing show like it really stands the test of time i yeah i watched the the show back in high school but then i obviously got distracted with college and life and then watched it again after everything um and then showed it to my husband and i got like so much more out of it the second and third time watching mm-hmm. it because I was older and I'd been, I mean, we talk about this, I'd been through some stuff and I was like, oh man, like this stuff hits harder. Like I understand things a little bit more like, cause I mean, let's be real. I was like 
totally invested mainly for Angel and Buffy's storyline. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, yeah. that's what pulls you in and you stay for the character of Buffy because she's just incredible. And yeah, and the rest of the characters too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that was my experience. I think I came in somewhere in the middle of, it was very, it was probably around Bad Eggs. I can't remember if this is the first episode I watched, but it was one of no the way. first. Oh, it was, yeah. That so that's why it's nostalgic. I have extra deep love for this episode. And Buffy and Angel was what got me hooked. But then I'm just mm. in love with Buffy as a person now. So that makes me so happy to hear that you love Buffy because, I mean, we've talked about it before, but I just don't understand people who don't care for the character of Buffy and then watch the show. I'm like, no. how could you just yeah. not? love this character there's a lot of shows i think i've said this before on the podcast but there's like a lot of shows where if you don't like the main character i'm like totally understand i don't think they're the best character ever you know aka vampire diaries but like (laughs) and other shows obviously too (laughs) i think i'm just turning into a vampire's hate podcast Um, (laughs) but this with this show like if you told me like oh i just really hate the character of buffy i'd be like then how can you watch this yeah. show? Because it's it's about her. It's all about her. Like everything in the show is to push her character forward. Like obviously there's other characters and they're equally as cool and interesting in my opinion. But like this is one of those shows where I'm like, I don't know how you could like the show and not like Buffy. Yeah, I agree. Buffy's not perfect, but like, a lot of shows, kind of like what Leah said, their main character, their main protagonist, they try to paint as moral, but they'll do crappy things all the time. And I'm just sitting here like, well, you can't just keep saying that like you're this moral person and then you're just doing crappy stuff. Whereas like when Buffy does things we don't agree with, there's always like a reason why. And there's always something that's happening that like people are not listening to or people are not like giving her an opportunity. Well, and you also see her go through like mm-hmm. a ton she of She goes remorse. through a lot of like, stuff. Anytime she does something crappy, mm-hmm. like you see how much it affects her and how much she like yeah. carries that guilt. Whereas like other characters will go through like some terrible stuff and then they just kind of like, oh, my bad. And they like move on and everyone's like, okay. Yeah, Buffy is just like constantly traumatized. She looks after mm-hmm. everybody. It's true. She like is the most compassionate person. I think that's her defining feature. She Buffy is a beautiful, perfect queen, and anyone who does <laughs> not want the best for her, I just I do not have time for that person. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> that is the end of my TED talk. <laughs> you're, like, oh, you're like done, done Bye. with the podcast. Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right, well, we should jump into the episode before we get too much further, or else this is going to be like a four hour long podcast, yes. which I wouldn't mind personally, but I bet there's going to be people out there that are like, heck no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so bad eggs. And I can genuinely say that the shining light of this episode is just the bangle moments because there's like not much else. It, it to be fair though, there's some really good like funny character moments and some like just like, good dialogue and stuff. Um, so I think we'll have stuff to talk about. But as far as like episodes in season two go, I would say this is not top tier. <laughs> what <laughs> quality? <laughs> but yeah, I know we're all shocked by this. <laughs> So Bad Eggs is written by Marty Noxon. Again, this is her, I think, fourth episode, third or fourth episode that she's written this season. Um, this was actually the script that convinced Joss Whedon and David Greenwald to bring Marty on as a regular what? writer. Hey, this episode, I think it comes down to she had just been writing some really good episodes and had like a good storyline and stuff. And so I think they saw that there was like potential well, there and stuff. Definitely, um, like, you can definitely tell there is an underlying metaphor. And I think that that's what Joss was looking for. Yeah, which one? <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> so it was directed by David Greenwald, and then it aired January 12th, 1998. And this is the first episode that we've seen after a break, um, like a season mid-season break. So could you imagine like the season ending on Ted or like the mid-season ending on Ted and then having to wait a whole month oh, before goodness. you get another episode? And then episode. the next episode is bad. Like, yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh, this half of the season starting off with a kick. Man. <laughs> <laughs> if only they knew. Um, so Bad Eggs has a lot of themes of sex having consequences, children as parasites, and how powerful and consuming the sex drive can be. Um, Marty Noxon said that uh, when David Greenwald and Joss Whedon called her and left, they actually left a message on her machine and they told her that they said, we've read your script and we really think it's been wonderful knowing you. We hope you don't take it too hard, but we don't think it's going to work <laughs> out. And they totally pranked her. And I just, all I could think about was the writer of Halloween was yeah. Carl Ellsworth, who they like fired. I don't know if you know that story. I okay. So the writer of the episode Halloween, mm -hmm. which one of my favorite episodes. It's awesome. So he that's the one and only Buffy script he's ever written. And he submitted it and Joss called him to his office and was like, hey, so we're taking your script, but we're letting you go. <laughs> that is brutal. Yeah. At least he always has like bragging rights of like, that's my episode. Yeah, but I want to know how much of it like mm -hmm. actually is his voice and how much it was changed by yeah. Joss because Joss and Carl agreed to – he says, I didn't know how to write for teenagers. I was writing too adult for them and that's why ultimately Joss let him go. So I wonder how much Joss went in and He like, probably tweaked it quite but, a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. Anyway, but Joss and David totally pranked Marty and then they started laughing and then she said followed it up with some nice words. But I just – I just think it's hilarious because I wonder if, like, deep down she thought, oh, yeah, that bad egg script was probably not super great. <laughs> <laughs> I Guys, I still think it has its moments. I will tell you. And that's why yeah. you're here, Bex. Convince, I, us. convince I, us. I agree <laughs> that there are moments in this episode that make it worth watching. I just think as a whole, yes, especially as, like, for a podcast episode, it was hard to get enough meat from the episode mm -hmm. to feel yeah. like I had a lot to talk about. But that's why there's there's four yeah. people here, because if we all, you know... We can all milk something. Yeah. yeah. I know. After some reason in my mind, I was like, this episode's, like, not bad. I was like, it's kind of good. And then I rewatched it last night, and I was like, oh, God. Like, I don't know. I just... <laughs> I, I didn't really like it this much like this time around i think it was like the kind of like the big bad of the episode too i was not into it was like spider aliens well not only that but like also like the <laughs> cowboy guys like tector and what's his i name? actually like the cowboy voice lyle lyle yeah. i thought they were funny okay so speaking of the cowboy guys bex you might already know this but i thought this was really fascinating so lyle and tector gorch are loosely based off of sam peckinpah's 1969 movie the wild bunch it was considered the goriest movie ever at its release it was set in Mexico in 1913. It is a Western about a group of violent men who see the age of cowboys coming to an end. And despite an inherent code of honor that both they and the officials hunting them seem to follow, they are eventually pushed too far and invite an all-out massacre on a Mexican town. So Giles mentions the massacred Mexican yeah. town, like the village Ooh. later on. Um Joss Whedon was obviously a huge fan of this movie because the head leader of that bunch of um, Mexican cowboys, his name is Pike. <laughs> from the movie. Fun. From the movie. Okay. And not only that, there's another member whose name is Angel. Oh, mm -hmm. wow. 
Yes. And Angel is an interesting character because he's Mexican himself. So he ends up caught between his gang and his people. Isn't that interesting? So I thought that was really neat. And that little segment's from Bite Me by Nikki Stafford, the book. But I thought that was really interesting because obviously Joss knew from the beginning like where he was going to kind of go with Angel because I always got the the feeling that he kind of like wasn't sure what he was going to do with Angel. Mm. But like he was talking about making him an actual angel. But the fact that he like knew what his name was going to be um, – but I mean I think we find out – when do we find out Angel's name? I think Is it it's second out of my third episode. It's the second time you see him. So, oh, it's in the harvest. The harvest. It's in the harvest. Okay. That's right. Okay. So then I'm like, by the time that Joss names him, I'm sure he's got to know that he's going to do something with him, whether it was to be a vampire. It's going to have something to do with um, being caught up between the human Mm -hmm. world and the vampire Mm -hmm. world. So I just thought that was really cool. Another layer of intentionality. Nice. Sarah always shocks us with a little every episode. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Didn't even know that. I was like searching, man. I had to like go to the dark corners of the web. I was like, well, I need to find something for bad eggs. So yeah, and another thing that I think is interesting about this episode is it's a lot about parents wanting to control their children um, in both negative and not so negative ways. I mean, you see Joyce um, trying to control Buffy, I think from ultimately good motivations, but I think it's somewhat flawed in the way that she carries that out with just uh, implementing discipline with Buffy. Um, I also think something to look out for when you guys are rewatching the episode is that wardrobe is very intentional as it always mm-hmm. is. I don't know if you guys noticed it, but there's a lot of characters wearing reds and purples. I, okay, I noticed that the palette was darker this episode. Like even for Buffy, like yeah. mm-hmm. the outfits she wore were a lot more like earthy dark tones which is not usually the palette she goes for but they were they were purple and the reason why is because the inside of the egg is purple and so you'll notice when the characters start becoming more under the influence of the with the exception of buffy's purple shirt at the very beginning like willow her she starts to wear more purple once she becomes under the influence of the i wanted to call it the gorgon it's not a gorgon (laughs) the bezoar (laughs) Don't know where that came from. But yeah, it's just like, it's interesting. We've talked a lot about how Willow's basic underlying color palette is a lot of greens. She wears green a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, the moment when she comes up to Buffy in the, the courtyard and she has the alien on her back, she's wearing a shirt that is both green and purple, which I thought was really interesting, mm-hmm. showing kind of the mix of both her own personality and the alien that's now kind of taking over yeah. as well. So anyway. That's enough of me talking about the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> so the episode opens up and the Sherman Oaks Gallery Mall. Yeah, Have you guys been there I, before? I was going to say that the mall reminds me so much of the scene in the movie. I was about to say. Where yeah, they're like talking and then the mm-hmm. <laughs> freaking the dude's Giles. His name is he. He's called something else, isn't he? In the movie. I forget. The watcher, but the watcher is like stalking her in the mall. So creepy. And then he like pulls her aside and he's like, you're the slayer. Yeah. But like he like is like stalking her while she's with her friends. It's a very creepy like scene. Makes me very uncomfortable. But this did remind me of it because like her talking with her mom is kind of like I don't know, just like made me remember her talking with her friends in the mall. Yeah. No, it's a total callback I think to the movie and his name is Merrick, Merrick. um her old mm. watcher. So, yeah, Sherman Oaks Galleria which gives me all the feels cuz that's where I got my jewelry for my wedding. Oh, adorable. I know. I like, but I didn't know that it was where Buffy was filmed, or else I totally would have tried to find all those locations. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) I was like, wedding, Buffy, Buffy. (laughs) 
All right, so we pan up, we see a cowboy and a girl walking, which this is Buffy, so the shot is clearly intentional, and I think you can guess before we even get into the episode that they're going to be important. And Buffy is trying to convince her mom to let her buy an outfit that, as her mom puts it, uh, makes her look like a street walker. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Which, don't get me wrong, I love Buffy's fashion. Love it. But it's a little scandalous. Like, she's worn, like, a like a literal see-through lacy top with a black bra to school before. Like, and hey, it's cute. But, like, we've never known that, like, Joyce had an opinion on Buffy's clothes up until now. And so it's like, I'm really curious to see the dress that Joyce draws the line at. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a very yeah. good point. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think, too... I don't think we've actually seen Buffy and Joyce like hang Mm -hmm. out anywhere yet. I think this is the first time other than home and school that we've seen Buffy and Joyce doing something. And I think it's a nice change of pace because we're like, oh, yeah, they're mother and daughter. They do things together. And I'm here for it. So Joyce says, you're just too young to wear it. Buffy says, yeah, I'm going to be too young to wear it until I'm too old Mm -hmm. to wear it. (laughs) That's the plan. And Joyce needs to get stuff from the printers, and she's going to grab their lunch while Buffy's going to go pick up Joyce's out from from the tailors, uh, the store everyday woman. And this banter back and forth between the two of them is interesting because you can tell that like Buffy is totally judging her mom's choice of store, and Joyce is, I think, a little sensitive about the fact that Buffy is judging her choice. And I think that it sets off the tone mm-hmm. of the episode really well because you have already like this underlying like insecurity where Joyce is trying to like help guide Buffy, but in a way she's almost controlling Buffy and pushing her own preferences onto Buffy. And then Buffy is kind of pushing back and also saying, hey, like, I don't like your style either, kind of in a subtle way. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I thought that was interesting. So then Buffy goes down an escalator. Okay, did anyone find this part confusing? No, the, the first guy. time I watched this, I thought it was twins. Oh my gosh, like there's a duplicate of the girl because it looks like three escalators. And so I was like, mm. oh, yeah. I was like, what the heck? I was like, what's going on? And then like it took me like a second to realize like, oh, he doesn't have a reflection. Yeah, I had to rewind it a couple times. Rewind. I, this is not a, a VHS. <laughs> this is a DVD. I had to go back. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a little confusing to me. Um, I will say, though, so I was listening to the director's commentary or the writer's commentary. Marty Noxon talked a lot about how they have a lot of extras on this show and especially like a set with the mall. You have a lot of extra people there. And so they were saying that it becomes really hard because you'll have extras overact mm-hmm. because they're thinking this is their moment to shine. <laughs> a lot of times in posts, no, yeah, in post they have to go back and they have to like catch certain shots differently because an extra was overacting and nobody paid attention to them. I was like, that would be yeah. so frustrating to be like, we got the shot, and then to go into post mm-hmm. and realize that like you have to do it differently. Um, this is no. completely unrelated. Well, it's tenuously linked. The other day, I was watching an episode of Sex in the City, and mm-hmm. I had to pause it and go back like five times because there's one extra who's just like staring at the camera. Yeah, I saw your story. I was like, what is this woman doing? <laughs> Where was the director? Like, someone needs to stop this woman, but they just leave it in. <laughs> Yeah, and it was a really bad because she was like right in front of where Sarah Jessica yeah. Parker's character comes out and she was laughing and like looking at Just the camera. Just staring at that camera. 
extras, man. I mean, I would imagine the director in post is like, well, we can't reshoot it and there's no way to crop this out. We have to just yeah, keep it Yeah, and we in. will not invite her That back. would be so frustrating. I've seen videos on TikTok that are like, oh, times that characters have broken character on like um on an episode and they didn't catch it. And some of them are so obvious. Like there's like a, a circle of people and one of them's like a main character and then they like start <laughs> smirking and then they correct themselves. And I'm like, this is like in an episode and no one noticed. And yet it's like so obvious to like a viewer. I feel like yeah. it's more obvious when you know though. Cause like sometimes I've seen those things and it's like, I watched the movie a thousand times or the show a thousand times and I never thought it was them breaking character. Cause it's just kind of like, Oh, like, that is what it is. Um, I think it only becomes more obvious once you know they're breaking character. Yeah, except unless you're, you know, Gossip Girl and you have or Blake pants. Lively over there wearing yeah. sweatpants. <laughs> There's so many, like, wardrobe malfunctions in that show. There's one time where the character Jenny is, like, crying on a bench and she's wearing two different shoes. What? No, that's no. <laughs> There's one where they're doing a – they're panning through and it's an overhead shot and you'll see one of the extras is wearing one heel and then not wearing anything on the other <laughs> That's foot. amazing. How do you know, notice that? Floor. Like, wouldn't you be wobbling when you're walking? The one with the sweatpants <laughs> specs is when, like, um, uh, Serena is, like, eating lunch with somebody and she's wearing a dress. And then during a scene, she was supposed to be on a phone call and she's standing up and it you either it was like between takes or they were like test running it or they're like, oh, we'll we'll crop it like above your waist. And so she's wearing her dress, but then like from the waist down, she's wearing sweats and you can see them like roll to a certain point so that she can wear them on her legs. But you can see like the sweats at the bottom. I mean, that's so like everybody on Zoom calls this last year, yep. right? Like the top of me looks great and the bottom of me is in pajamas. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I'm currently wearing my hamburger pajama bottoms right now. So. Sorry, the glass has been shattered not only for Bex, but now all our listeners as well. So yeah, Buffy realizes dude is a vampire, follows them upstairs to the arcade, and the vampire's like, turn around, baby, I have something to show you, and compliments her on her neck. Which I don't understand why girls like wouldn't be immediately concerned. If I was on a date with a guy and he's like, you have a really nice neck, I'd be like, I'm leaving. <laughs> like, that's Thank weird. So but also, like, cowboys are, like, the most least attractive person to me. Like, I'm sorry for all the cowboys out there. I just like the accent <laughs> and the way they dress. The boots. It's I, boots for me. I just I can't. can't. He's like, hey, sugar lips. I was like, uh, oh. <laughs> That's a nice he neck. particularly cringe. Yeah, well, I think that's the point. I think he's supposed to be, like coming off that way but yeah sugar lips i was like that's can we not thank you (laughs) yeah boy you guys really never come up with any good lines do you and girl is not amused wants buffy to leave and buffy but you promised you'd never cheat again honey which i was like that is so smart like super clever because she's like okay i have to get this girl out of here without her knowing that he's a vampire i mean bummer that the girl turns around and sees his vamp face and like (laughs) Yeah, yeah, she'll probably but, you know, like good job, Buffy. Make excuses. Mark it off as like a bad date. She'll repress. <laughs> All right, sugar lips, giddy up. Oh, no. <laughs> he says giddy up like four times this I, episode. And every time I'm like I will say I really enjoyed the fight scene between them, like in the arcade. I thought it was well choreographed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That was something I was talking about with my husband. I was saying Buffy just does a phenomenal job of having 
very interesting Mm -hmm. fights all the way through. It differs depending upon who she's fighting against. And I think that like they just put a lot of thought into it. This is very interesting. Yeah, I think I think Jeff Pruitt is the stunt coordinator by this point. Correct me if I'm wrong, but he is like particularly brilliant at telling Mm -hmm. a whole story with the stunt choreography. It's always like very much in context. He's so clever. And I feel like it's interesting too because he also plays on the strengths or the weaknesses of each character um, or each villain too. Like we talked about um, – which one was it? Oh, Some Assembly Required. I really loved that fight at the very end between her and – I do not remember the guy's name – the Frankenstein monster because he's supposed to be very mm. big and very strong. And at one point he like picks up Sarah Michelle Gellar or I guess it was Sophia Crawford at mm. the time. And she's like – fighting and flailing against him and he just like slams her down and it's a very different fight versus with her versus a vampire because she's technically stronger than a vampire yeah Uh, yeah. it just makes for an interesting episode because each time you're like ooh this this catches my eye you know so then they fight and she throws him down he grabs his hat in a very Indiana Jones style says he knows she's the slayer somersaults and says this ain't over as he like grabs his hat and points it at her this ain't over (laughs) (laughs) so Bubby heads back to the food court and Joyce looks a little peeved sitting there with their lunch Buffy forgot to grab the dress Joyce says a little responsibility is all I ask honestly don't you ever think about anything other than boys and clothes and then Buffy says saving the world from vampires which I was like whoa Girl went there. <laughs> I mean, she's done this a couple times in the show where, like, her mom will ask her something and she'll, like, answer honestly. But it's such a ridiculous answer that her mom mm-hmm. doesn't believe her. And I think that's why Buffy says it because she – I think, one, a part, a part of her wants to be honest. But I think also part yeah. of her knows that Joyce won't mm-hmm. take it seriously. And so she just kind of is like, oh, it doesn't really matter if I lie here because she won't believe me. But also, like, if – if Joyce ever does find out, she can always say, like, I was honest with you. You just didn't believe me. Yeah. I think Buffy really wants mm. to tell her mom, like, what mm. is going on. But she, you know, can't for various reasons. But I always just feel extra bad for her whenever she's being, like, grounded or told off. Or where Joyce mm-hmm. is, like, very directly asking her where she's been. And she just, mm-hmm. she she kind of knows she has to get in trouble. Because, like, well, like, I can't tell you, so... I just constantly feel bad for Buffy. She wants to be good. How hard would it be to have your mom constantly telling you that you're irresponsible, you're not mature, and all this stuff? And she's like, but I am. You know, I think what episode was it? Oh, it was school hard where her mom's like, just wait till you get a job. And she's like, I have Mm -hmm. a job, you know? Yeah. And it's like so sad because like Joyce keeps telling her how she wants a daughter who's like responsible and like all this stuff. And like the audience is just like, you phrased one of the best like, people ever like and you just can't even see it yeah so cut to the utility closet and cordelia and xander are making out very loudly (laughs) so uncomfortable by this scene they just say xander the the description for them is just xander hmm and cordelia oh like that's so uncomfortable like you're gonna look at that at home be like hey how do i execute this how do i sit there and go oh i just want to know like where the actual janitor is it's like alluded to the fact that they've done this multiple times, so they know that the janitor's closet is like always available. The only time I've ever seen the janitor at the school was the dark age. The dark age mm-hmm. where he was like there at night. Cordelia is afraid they will miss class. Xander turns the light on and he says, You know this would work better for me if you didn't talk. 
Okay. <laughs> so Xander has some really good redeeming moments in this episode. We also have some really but crappy to fair, ones too. And this is one of them. She's just as mean to him as he is to her. Oh, she so totally like, is. Is it rude of Xander to say that? Yeah. But is it necessarily a tick on his character when she's doing the same thing? I would. But then think like, so. again, she says like, oh, it'd be better for me if I didn't see you. So they both are like hitting at spots that are kind of like really sensitive for both of them. So I'm not like mad at one person. Oh, yeah. I think it's just kind of toxic at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to get to Cordelia. I was going to take them each individually, but sure. We can lump them together and say they're both fully toxic. And I think that Cordelia takes pride in being really honest and truthful. So Xander's saying it'd be better if you don't talk is like you said, extremely mm-hmm. biting. And then for her to say that, you know, she doesn't like the way that he looks, I think is a dig on yep. Xander because mm-hmm. he's very insecure mm-hmm. about that. I mean, he's got to compete with Angel, so I don't blame him. <laughs> <laughs> so they kiss again. And then Xander like turns on the light and I like his little like foot stomp that he does. He's like, are you saying that you can't look at me when we do whatever it is that we do? And she's like, it's more that I don't want to. <laughs> so I think it's interesting that they're repulsed by each other. They can't tell their friends what they're doing, but there's an attraction there. There's something there that they can't deny. Um, and I think it makes for an interesting mirror to Angel and Buffy's relationship mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. well. This scene in the classroom. So I, I've learned, like rewatching it and doing the podcast, if I'm ever confused about what the metaphor is in an episode, usually the class teachers will explain it to them in the, the lecture that they're talking about. Like in the very first episode, either that or The Harvest, they're like, death and then like they talk about it and you're like oh okay i can see where the show is going or in um teacher's pet <laughs> i always talk about that so i don't know why but like the teacher's talking about like you know animals and like whatever it is they're mating and like stuff like that and then in this episode they're like s-e-x sex and you're like okay well i gotta know yeah Thank wonder you. what this is about <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Hey, Mr. Whitmore doesn't die, guys. I think this is the first teacher that's been in an episode prominently, other than Miss Calendar, that hasn't died. Is he the one who, like, is he being controlled as well? Or is he the one orchestrating things? Because, like, like, they never really develop it. And if you think about it, like, Mm. he doesn't seem as mindless as the rest. Mm. Like, when they show him, he... He looks like he kind of has a consciousness. Well, he's also standing, but he's the one that knocks out mm-hmm. the guard, but then he's also standing by the little hole in the wall as everybody files mm-hmm. in. So he is almost kind of like in charge. Ooh, that's a good point. But they I could be know. controlling him. Because like, here's the thing, like I I was like, okay, well, if he's controlling it, why do they give him more of a character and like or like a moment of like, this is why I'm doing this. You know how they always do that at the end. There's like a motive. But they didn't. Like even as I was watching, I'd barely even noticed that he was in the end of the episode when he's like handing out tools or like holding the basket with the eggs. I was like, oh, that's really interesting. They didn't really like dig deep into like the reasons why. And that makes sense like Leah. Like if he's being controlled, that would make sense. But then also he's not like everyone else. That's why I was confused because I was like, it could be that he's – conscious but he's such a wimpy villain that they were like we're not even gonna focus on you i think that's why they added in two villains in this episode because i knew both of them as singles would not be as interesting but i think that they just focus more on the actual like giant alienish thing going on instead of like the human who had weird motives i don't know i mean (sighs) 
it's a little inconsistent. And that's the frustrating part about the episode is sometimes the Bezor like does things that you're like, oh, okay, wow, it's really intelligent. And then it like overlooks other things. Mm-hmm. So then you're like, wait, does mm-hmm. it not know? And so I wouldn't be surprised if the Bezor was like controlling the Mr. Whitmore because it had a purpose for him. And then once he served that purpose, he just became like everybody else. So that's why he stuck out sometimes and then not others. I don't know. Yeah, that's an interesting point, Leah. I'd be curious to go watch it and see if, like, he collapses with everybody else, like, if you can see him, because that would indicate that he was being controlled. Mm, that's true. So Mr. Whitmore says, how many of us have lost countless productive hours plagued by unwanted sexual thoughts and feelings? And Xander raises his hand. Yes. <laughs> He's like, I feel so heard, so seen like, right finally now. Finally, <laughs> I can be open about it. Uh, the teacher, that was a rhetorical question, not a poll. And Willow looks really uncomfortable in this in this scene. Um, so he talks about – he's like, hey, does anybody know of any negative consequences to having sex? And then there's this whole back and forth between Cordy and Xander where they're, you know, essentially just burning each other. And Willow is starting to kind of like suspect – or not maybe not suspect. What's the right word? I don't know how um, anyone wouldn't know. That yeah. they're like hooking up at this point. Like if I was in class and I didn't even know these two mm-hmm. and I saw this kind of like passion about this kind of topic, I would immediately be like, oh, yeah, they're hooking up. Yeah. And especially as like Willow, who's someone who's Xander's friend. Like it's just so like I know it's all for plot and everything, but I feel like it's so obvious. I feel like Willow yeah. and Xander have been best friends for so long and hated Cordelia together for mm-hmm. so long that probably the idea of anything like this happening between Xander and Cordy is just like not even crossing her mind. That's true. Yeah, I agree. I think that's pretty much the only plausible answer for not knowing. And then they talk about the eggs. Okay, did any of you have to do a project like this in high school? Mine was an egg, but but mine was um, an actual baby doll that I had to have it up to like an actual baby's weight and I had to carry it around for a whole week. Yes, I had that too. Did mm-hmm. you? And then I was partner with somebody. I had a stupid sack of flour. Well, I mean, you had the option. We had the option to have an actual baby. I used David, so he had tons of coins in it. Um, and so I carried it around. But then my partner was out for like a long time. So I had to like carry on both the babies. And But he did all of like the housing like uh, paperwork. So I was like, you go ahead and do that. I'll take care of the children. <laughs> my, my like baby project got like canceled because – our teacher was also the athletic director with small school problems. Um, <laughs> and so they were like out constantly. And so we had like a long-term sub and I think like she came in right before the baby project and she was like, ah, I didn't know we were going to have to do this. And so she pretty much made it for extra credit instead. Mm-hmm. And so like you could do it or you couldn't. And so like, our only requirement was just like we would have to carry around a stuffed animal. So you saw like a bunch of like what? seniors walking around with, like stuffed animals for like a week. That's not as fun. It was yeah. hard having then, a baby. Some of us would get in trouble in other classes. They're like, why is your stuffed animal so big? And well, we were like, oh. our, our teacher told the other teachers that if we, because I had some stupid boys in my class who would put the babies on the desk and then just like, you know, flop it around. Papers <laughs> around. <laughs> and White so like Xander yeah, with well, his egg. And, yeah, pretty much. And so the – but then the girls would have like little strollers and stuff. And so they would tell the teacher and be like, hey, this person was not taking care of their child, giving it a secure spot because we'd had have it in our laps. We couldn't put it on the floor. We couldn't put it on the desk because it was like a real baby. So they would like have other teachers like scouting out, seeing if other people were doing it correctly. So the babies that we were given – so I went to an, a Catholic all-girls school, guys. Oh, my gosh. Oh. No, oh, you guys had to do a baby no- project? <laughs> Yes, 
and there were there were no boys to share the duties with so we were essentially just like an army of single mums um and the babies that we were given had um like technology in them and so it would it would like give you a report at the end of the week and it would tell you like this is such a girl's school going the extra mile man they were just like training us to be excellent wives um um, you could choose if you wanted a partner if you want to be a single mom and so i chose to be a single mom because i think you got more extra credit for it (laughs) i don't exactly i know i think it was um i chose to be a single mom because then i could calculate less money so it was easier math because if i I was a double i had to do a double income and so i was like no i'll just be a single mom (laughs) i had a sack of flour and it was dumb because I didn't have the option to have a baby and it would have been so much easier because those sacks of flour, they're just, mm-hmm. they're heavy and they just sit there and I had to like duct tape it or else it would oh, lose flour no. everywhere every time you like sit down and stuff. It was the worst. And even then it's still like oozed flour. So our teacher was so strict about it that he made you like have a car seat and buckle your oh, sack wow. of flour and he would stock he would stock the parking lot when everybody drove in to make sure that their flour was water. I was like Mr. Gunderson calm down. Wow, he really <laughs> committed to that project. Um yeah, well, it was ridiculous. I, there was like these two teachers that would always be like would watch out and make sure everyone was doing it properly but one of them mr rogers would like circle the parking lot and make sure that like if they got out of like the the seat or whatever they were sitting properly um then when they would bring them out they're holding them correctly before they walk into the school because you can like throw around the child and then you come in you're like oh holding it like an actual baby but people were like so intense about it well because our babies had these analytics inside them the baby dobbed on you at the end of the week like it gave you a report that was like you you didn't support the baby's wow. head this many that times like so you took too long I'd to hire change a nanny. the baby were you like stressed out because yes. i would be stressed yes like oh you're the, re- the report says you actually killed your baby on wednesday like <gasps> no how no <laughs> i didn't no i didn't <laughs> Wait, this includes going home too. Yeah, you had to take it what? home, and it was it was a very intense project. How long? I think it was a week. Oh Jeez. my word! Yeah, I'd kill the baby at one point. I mean, not on purpose. Oh, yeah. I don't like. <laughs> it's like cause of death, lack of cuddles. You're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> anyway, okay, we need to move on. That was really funny, though. <laughs> All right, so Willow. Um, looks very proud of herself to say that pregnancy is a negative cause. And then uh, she's very excited to have Xander. And she like reaches over. Yeah. And I think it's interesting how they do like the wide shot. Like they pulled back so you could see all the characters and what they were doing. And you could see Willow like looking at him and he's looking at Cordelia. And Cordelia is purposely not looking Symbolism at Xander. For, like the whole love triangle at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Which I think this episode is really key in showing that the love triangle has kind of shifted from Xander, Willow, and Buffy, and it's now Xander, Cordelia, and Willow. I think what's Willow. So sad about this is not that Xander is like consciously not wanting to be with Willow. I, I think that it's sad because he just is so much like, oh, I just want to be with Cordelia because that's what I'm interested in, and doesn't even consider Willow as an option. Um, even as a friend, which is so sad, like he just goes up there and then he's so embarrassed that he just grabs the girl next to him. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just so sad yeah. because like you have to know that like at this point, any type of 
group project, they've always picked each other because they've been best friends in school for years. And so the fact that there's like a baby project where you're supposed to be pretend married and everything and he doesn't even consider Willow has to sting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's hard too because I think that – I like we've talked about before, we don't fault Xander for having feelings for someone and not having feelings for someone else. But I think it's just the overall lack of – intentionality with willow as his friend like he just kind of like completely forgets sometimes that she's there and i feel like that's the more hurtful thing and the more um i think that's the thing that rubs us all wrong um so buffy missed class she's in the library doing research on the vampire that she had fought the cowboy vampire willow gives her her egg xander it's the whole sex leads to responsibility thing which i personally don't get you got to take care of the egg and keep it safe and teach it christian values (laughs) willow's like my egg is jewish (laughs) and buffy freaks because she can't take care of things which this is a really interesting conversation um finds out that there were uneven numbers of students so now she's a single mother and again this goes back to the conversation with her mom about like she doesn't like her mom's wardrobe. I think this is her trying to like distance herself as her mm. own person. Like my mom is her own person. I'm my own person. And then her saying I'm doomed to lead my mother's life is not necessarily like a dig on her mom. I think it's more of Buffy wants to be her own person, yeah. you know. And then Xander thinks the egg experiment means nothing and is completely pointless. Which I think is is really like this little – the subtle dialogue that they have throughout this episode where they show the lack of responsibility on the guy's part versus the extra responsibility that the girls have I think really does mirror how it is in real life in our Western culture especially where um, girls do take on the responsibility of caregiver where it should be a little bit more even with between mm-hmm. guys and oh, girls. Oh, I kind of like – But like, well, it correlates with what you're talking about because then later on when like Xander is like tossing around the egg and he doesn't really care about it and you notice, and I don't know if they're trying to do this on purpose, but I viewed it as like Willow and Buffy are the only people out of the three that were physically affected and tired and sluggish after a night of keeping up the with the eggs mm-hmm. which is how the mom said it or however mm-hmm. way she worded it um and he's like completely fine he doesn't he's not taking on the weight of the children he's like um very lighthearted and doesn't really care about it but it's just a little confusing in how they do it but i'm like okay well what does that really mean like they didn't really kind of talk about that a little bit i was gonna say like having eggs is probably the stupidest idea for this project mm-hmm. because Coming from someone who would find every cheap way to get out of a project in the easiest way, all what I would do is I would just, like, treat the egg terribly and then buy a carton of eggs and then just, like, replace the egg if it broke or something. Like, Xander has the right idea. You could literally keep that thing in your pocket or in your bag or not even bring it to school and then on the last day bring a perfectly good egg and be like, here you go. Like, I was like, why did they choose eggs? Mm-hmm. But you would always know within yourself that you had cheated. <laughs> I know, which is Giles' <laughs> point. <Like>, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, Tabby. And I think they were trying to show the gender disparity between raising children and how for women it's just more mm-hmm. of a burden and that they do end up taking and picking up the slack that men don't pick up and how society has differing expectations for men and women when it comes to caregiving. Um, which I think is a very important conversation to have, but I think this episode didn't show it. As yeah, and well, well that's the thing because, like, I I know the show, so I know what they were trying to say, but I feel like watching that 
you could get a different opinion off of what they were trying to do because it could seem a little bit sexist. Sure. Um, but knowing the mm-hmm. show and knowing how much they they try to deal with hard topics, I know what they were trying to do, but I think it was a little weak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, there's a lot of different things going on in this episode, and it felt like it was just really – It was Mm -hmm. messy sometimes. So Giles comes out and he's all like, aha, I figured it out. And he almost smashes Buffy's egg, which poor Buffy. She's already like freaking out. And he tells them that the vampire that she saw was Lyle or Tector Gorch. They had massacred a Mexican village before they became demons. Um, Good news is they are not amongst the greatest thinkers of our time. Thinks they are simply drawn there due to the Hellmouth energy, which I think is really interesting because I think that's the first time we've like heard Giles explicitly say that. And I think like that makes a lot of sense for things happening constantly Mm -hmm. in Sunnydale and why there's always bad people coming there if they're being drawn there. Well, especially specifically the high school. Like, why is there grown vampires going to like a high school constantly and sunnydale california is i mean it's not los angeles so it's like this random small town in california you know there's got to be something that's drawing them there so willow instantly suggests like a good friend that angel should help buffy find the gorch brothers and xander's like all right i see a lot of hunting getting done in that scenario which okay takes one to no one he's just left that utility closet yeah exactly (laughs) Bobby's like, please, like Angel and I are just helpless slaves to passion. Grow up. Cut to cemetery. (laughs) (laughs) This thing feels like, okay, you know what? Like maybe we should, you know, go um, hunting. And then they like take like two steps. And then she's like, see anything? He's like, nope. He's like, okay. (laughs) Enough hunting. I actually counted how many steps she took because I was curious. She took six steps. Literally six steps. She she tried. She did. (laughs) I mean, to be fair, if we're being real, that's all going out into the graveyard is. It's literally just waiting for someone to show up. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they're not doing their job. She's there, right? She made the attempt. Yeah. Like, you know. <laughs> um, and I, Bex, you probably know more than I do, but the all the behind the scenes on Sarah and David kissing, how they used to like prank each other, eat garlic and tuna and all that stuff. Do you have any like yeah. juicy tidbits had- you want to share? I mean, I have read the same quotes about how they used to eat the most disgusting things to gross each other out. But I've definitely also read quotes from David where he was like, yeah, they would call cut and I would just keep kissing because you know, <laughs> really, it was really pleasant. And I was like, I bet it was. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, you can kind of tell. You can tell they like kissing each other. They have amazing chemistry. I'm also weirdly very into the volume of their kissing in this whole episode. It is so loud, loud, but I like it. (laughs) That Foley person was like, woo, let's go. That Because I think most of the time when they show like Buffy and Angel, they want to show – focus more on the like the passion and the sweetness and the whereas in this one they I think they wanted to focus more on the physicality because Mm. it goes more with the metaphor of Mm -hmm. the episode hence why when Cordelia and Xander and when Buffy and Angel are all like making out it's more audible I guess because like Mm -hmm. they want it to be in your face like they're being physical because it goes more with the episode yeah the relationship is definitely ramping up physically yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that's yeah. a good point, Leah. Um, so I think it's interesting because I think the episode is trying to kind of suggest to us, and I don't know if they're like accurate or not, that possibly Angel is 
preventing Buffy from doing her Slayer duties to the full extent. Um, And I mean, obviously she's not, she doesn't see the Gorsh brothers there. And we know that Buffy is a highly intuitive Slayer. She's really good at knowing when something is around. She's good at um, just using her instincts to find evil. And the fact that she doesn't realize that there are two vampires, literally like what, you know, 50 feet away is possibly, you know, dangerous. Yeah, and it's like it's a very good it's a very good like cut from oh please like we're just helpless slaves to passion and then they literally cannot keep their hands off each other or do their job that mm-hmm. night. Yeah. And then the Gorch brothers are like, "Hey, they know she's the slayer." And I think it's interesting that they say, "Isn't that Angela?" Yeah, they know who not it is. Angel. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um and <laughs> is that the slayer? Yep. Well, how come she ain't slaying? And how come he's about to make me blush? <laughs> well, I love like, that I don't line. know, How come you always ask me stupid questions? <laughs> I wish they were in the episode more because their dialogue together cracks me yes. up so much. I agree. I thought that the scenes where them two were together were like stealing the show for me, honestly. Also, what kind of a name is Tector? It's like know. the worst name ever. Why can't it be Hector with the T? You're kidding me. Tector. Well, I think that sounds very cowboy-like. Tector. Maybe it's like because it sounds like Texas. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Maybe I'm just hearing things. So Lyle doesn't want to take Buffy with Angel there, wants to wait until she's alone, which again, we've seen little hints throughout the episodes leading up to this one that because he he refers to him as Angelus. And I think that we're seeing like more and more hints of the fact that Angelus is actually really, really scary <laughs> and really dangerous, um, like based upon the Watcher's Diaries, based upon the fact that Angelus killed Igon when he was fighting mm-hmm. with him. We saw Igon being incredibly powerful. So this is just yet another example of this vampire doesn't even want to take on Buffy. I mean, he doesn't mind – well, in his words, he doesn't mind taking on Buffy, but he really doesn't want to take on Buffy while Angelus is there. And I also kind yeah. of viewed it like they wanted to separate Buffy from the people around her so that she's weaker. And we see that a lot. I mean, we've we've met Kendra at this point. I have to realize like, where we're at when we're recording. Um and so we see Kendra, who's like someone who's been very isolated as a like as a slayer. And then we see Buffy, how like she talks about how it's like a weakness having friends around you because they can get hurt. And yet we see them being an asset to her. So I think it's really interesting that like a lot of the villains that we've seen have been trying to separate her from her friends because that makes her weaker. Mm-hmm. Um, so Lyle says he has a plan. I'm the one that does the thinking, remember? <laughs> Tector, yeah, you do the thinking, Lyle. I like how he acts as if he's like a scholar. And it's like <laughs> the most basic plan is wait till she's alone. Like that's his master plan. <laughs> yeah, well, he won't tell him what his master plan is, leading him to be like, you're scared of her and you don't actually have a plan. Mm-hmm. So then Buffy's room, she goes through her nightly checklist, feeding, burping, and diapers. And then I love how she pats him, says, good night, Egbert. So cute. <laughs> I, I just had so many questions because she has like a um, an egg diary for this. But I'm like, you could BS the whole thing. You could just be like, yeah, I burped at this time. I changed it this time. I'm like, who who's to know that you actually know 
when you do things, which I feel like is a little hard because Bex had to go through this like rigorous like thing in high school. Yeah. I mean, frankly, I think this is all very unfair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're like, this is not fair. Well, I mean, I think that just shows Buffy's character. I think she really like she's honest and she actually is responsible and she's trying hard and she's like doing things when she's mm-hmm. supposed to do them and she doesn't want to cheat the system, you know? Yeah. So the clock says 2.03, which I noticed that both times that the alien thing kind of came out, it was around 2, 2 a.m., which I thought was interesting that they were trying to show consistent time. But I was like, that's an odd thing for them to be very, like, specific about. I agree, though, because I feel like every sci-fi or horror movie I watch, something always happens at the same time every night. I think it's creepier when that stuff that usually happens all the time and it gets progressive. So you get scared when you wake up at two and you're like, oh my gosh, what's going to be in the bathroom now? Mm. So I think that they're playing on that kind of stereotype because I've seen that so many different times. Um, And then this terrifies me. The tentacle comes out of the egg, crawls across the bed like a hand, Mm -hmm. and then it goes like into her ear. It was so gross. Oh, I, I seriously, I, I, I got scarred and watched the movies Alien when I was like way too young. And this just like triggers me. I just, I don't like it at all. <laughs> There's actually a theory out there that this is a dream because the egg when she wakes up in the morning is whole. And you know how Buffy has premonitions and dreams and stuff? The idea that like um, the egg is sucking like the life from her, but it's simply because of its proximity to her, not because it's actually coming out. And I thought that that was an interesting um, theory. I'd never heard that before. I don't know what you guys think. I think it's an interesting theory, but I think it makes more sense that it was sucking the life out of her. Because, I mean, Buffy, because she has Slayer powers, it's not often that she feels like out of it unless there's something supernatural. Right. Well, I'm saying it is sucking the life out of her, but it's not like doing so with like actual touch, but it's just Mm -hmm. because it's close proximity to her because how else is it able to like reassemble its egg self? It's alien. You know? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know, man. It's the hell mouth. Yeah. She'll raw cop out. (laughs) So I don't know. I I I thought that was interesting. Like usually when she has a premonition, the first thing she does is go to Giles and be like, I've had a premonition. Hmm. And she That's doesn't true. do that this time. Yeah. Like, she, th- yeah. I feel like if she remembered it, there would be a scene where they. That is true. That's true. Where they mentioned it? I don't know. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. Either way, it just, like, either way you look at it, it's like, well, regardless of whether it was a dream or not, it's weird that the egg is back together. It's yes. weird I mean, that, you know. There are a lot of things in this episode <laughs> that simply don't yeah, make sorry, sense. Sorry, I'm like diving way too deep. <laughs> <laughs> I won't think so hard. Okay, moving on. Guys, we're doing bad eggs. It's just bad eggs. <laughs> just pretend, just pretend. Um, okay, yeah, and they show the sewers. Tector is tired of eating rats and wants to stay somewhere nice, <laughs> like with an ice machine, because that, guys, that is the pinnacle of a nice motel, is somewhere with an ice machine. <laughs> Still wants to know why Angelus is getting cuddly with Buffy. Lyle says he took care of Tector when their mom left, which I think this is an interesting dialogue. Um, and I, like, I wondered, I was like, okay, why are Tector and Lyle in this episode? Like, this just seems so random mm-hmm. because they're not the big bads. And they were talking about how, like, they're to show, like, the relation – another layer of a relationship because this episode is all about, like, obviously – parent relationships but it's also about sibling relationships and friend relationships too and they were talking about how like 
Tector um, or Lyle mentions that he took care of Tector. So in a, when their mom left, so in a way, Lyle is almost like a surrogate father to Tector. And you see Tector kind of butting against Lyle's idea of like and plans and what they should do. And it kind of is supposed to, I think, mirror um, the rest of the relationships that are going on within the episode. I would so. never thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, again, it's not done very well. Mm-hmm. Again, it's not the standard that we're used to, but I think that was the point of putting those characters mm-hmm. in there. And that's why they have this moment where like they're fighting and stuff. Well, and, he even says, he's like, I will beat you like a redheaded stepchild. I mean, right? I, it seems funny, but I'm like, there has to be a reason why you throw that in there as well, you know? Kind of like the yeah. idea of like a fractured family. Yeah, totally. Um, so Buffy's alarm goes off and I don't know about you, but this alarm triggers me because everybody has had this alarm at some point Mm -hmm. in their life and just hearing it makes me like want to hit things. And Buffy looks tired. The egg looks normal. And Joyce is trying to be kind to Buffy, ask her questions. And Buffy's a little bit cranky, which I mean, can you blame her? She's just been having like her life force sucked out of her at night by this alien thing. Yep. Um, Or a child. Her, her child. Right. And that's and that's the thing. That's one of the metaphors in this episode is that like Buffy is sucking the life out of her mom and Buffy's mm-hmm. egg is sucking the life out of Buffy, which I was like, ooh, this part was interesting because you have like this ominous music of Giles up in the stacks and then like kind of the camera pans over and you're like, oh, it's going to be like a villain or something. And then it's just the three of them standing there. And I got the, the implication, I think, is that Giles is kind of like a surrogate parent to these kids mm. and here he is in his like happy place up in the stacks because we've we've seen over and over again that he really likes being alone up in the stacks and he likes filing and putting things away and then all of a sudden it's just like as a parent your kids come and interrupt you and you're just like oh now what like i was having alone time like go away yeah <laughs> and you'll notice that buffy is wearing purple all purple. And this is something she normally doesn't wear. Willow is wearing red, but she has like stripes with hints of purple in it. And I think like they're trying to show like the influence of the Bezor. It's such an awkward name. Did you guys know that Bezor means a clump in your intestines? Ew. That's what that means. No. Yeah. Oh, anyway, you guys learned something new today. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've done did way too much research on this episode. I was like, there's got to be something more. <laughs> So Buffy and Willow are too tired to help. Xander has lots of energy. And again, like we were talking about earlier, Mm -hmm. this is another example of how women have to take on the responsibility um, of raising children and it makes them very tired. But also like him tossing around the egg, I just got like, I could just picture a father like tossing up their child and the mom being stressed, being like, be careful, be careful. Because when he drops it, everyone's like, like, is it okay? But yeah. Know. Yeah. No, you're right. Mm-hmm. And Giles, of course, is freaking out because he's thinking about the mess he's going to have to clean up in his library. Of course. And then Xander, you, Angel, big smoochies. And Buffy's like, shut up. Which is so. See, this is what bothers me. Here we go. Xander, Here we go. Yeah. No, <laughs> Xander gets to have his private little thing with Cordelia and no one knows about it. So no one can make any comments. And he's so fearful of people treating him the way he treats Buffy about Angel with Cordelia that he doesn't say anything. But any opportunity he gets to bag on Buffy for having a boyfriend and for kissing him or whatever, like he gets, like he takes advantage of. And it's just so annoying to me because I'm like, Xander, like, you're so hypocritical. Like, he gets to have his private life stay private, but Buffy doesn't. Yeah, and even when he has, like, beautiful Cordelia to make out with, 
he's still jealous of Buffy and Angel, but like to the point where he can't let it yep, go. He gosh, has to make digs all yep. the time. Just or he's like literally like in what's my line? He is making out with Cordelia in the basement and comes back and immediately starts hitting on Kendra. Like it's just mm-hmm. this constant what he doesn't have he wants, mm-hmm. or he's mm-hmm. just like never content with what's right in front of him. Is always looking for the next thing, and I think it's just really frustrating to watch. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, you made an interesting point, Tabs, earlier, like with Buffy and Willow clasping their eggs tighter as Xander throws it around, mm-hmm. showing again, like, think they are being influenced by the Bezor, like wanting to take care of the eggs, but it's also a metaphor for motherhood and how, like, we just become very invested. Uh, so Cordelia comes in, says Mr. Whitmore is missing. She thinks he's dead. Giles, I think we should give him a few hours before giving up on him completely. <laughs> to be fair, like, yes, is Cordelia overreacting? For sure. But, like, this is also Sunnydale. Like, any time a teacher is gone for a day, it's usually because they're dead. Like, don't yeah. blame her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. She's not wrong, for sure. Um, And then Cordelia's all hinting to Xander that they should go look. And he's like, oh, no, it can wait. And then once he realizes she means, you know, Smoochie's in the utility room, he's all on board. She says closet, like, five times. And all the fifth time, he's like, oh, so obvious. Yeah. I don't know how they didn't pick it up. I know. Willow, are they getting weirder? Have you noticed the weirdness of them? And I think part of – I think we can excuse it in this moment just simply because Willow's feeling sluggish based upon everything happening with mm-hmm. the Bezor. But you'd think she'd be putting two and two together. <laughs> Is Angel going to be helping you? He does what he can. And then cut back to them making out again super loud. Okay, this scene. Let's talk about this mm-hmm. scene because it's very important. And I think it's also really interesting. Did you guys notice the cross right behind as they're like kissing? Mm-hmm. So they have the cross and then they come over it. And I think that's interesting because we've clearly seen that they crosses repel vampires. And I would think Angel would be uncomfortable being that close to one. But I wonder if it's intentional because Buffy makes him forget about his vampire side, about his fear. And Mm. like kissing her like kind of – Makes him feel more human. Yeah, makes him feel more human. Like he doesn't feel that dread and that fear that the master describes when he's right by the cross. I don't know. What do you think, Bex? I've always wondered how this works because like what is the difference between a cross on a piece of jewelry and a cross on a building? Like why does one burn them and the other doesn't? But I don't think that's ever been explained. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, because like, what if it's just like two beams that are put together and they're not meant to be a cross, but they're literally like, that's just the way they were built. Yeah, like at what up. point? Or what if it's like an become... emblem on like a shirt? Yeah, right. Does yeah. that burn you? Yeah, that's interesting. But mm-hmm. I think like we know that things are intentionally shot and it's like a cross and then you have the two of them like right there. So I'm like, that's gotta be significant. And I think it's interesting that Angel doesn't even acknowledge that it's there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's some strong symbolism. Mm -hmm. So Buffy says she should go kill bad guys. Angel says he will hunt since it's late and she should go home, which this is like the classic mom-dad conversation where, oh, like I need to take care of the baby. He's like, no, I'll stay up with the kid. Don't worry. Mm -hmm. And I think that like I love it because in contrast with the scene we just had before with Xander who's treating his eggs all cavalier, you have Angel here and you're like, oh, you would be such a good dad. He really would. (laughs) (laughs) We can dream. Um, Bobby says she has to go fill out her egg diary. And she says, like, I'm really planning to have kids anytime soon, maybe someday in the future when I'm done having a life. And Angel looks Angel looks really sad mm-hmm. and uncomfortable in this scene. And he says, I wouldn't know. I don't 
well, you know I can't. Which I think this is the first time in the show that they've like put this into the lore that vampires can't have children. Well, yeah. and it's also, this is like one of the first times they've talked about the idea of their future together. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. And you can tell it's a, it's a topic that they both have skirted around for a reason. Yep. I think like, I like the way he says it. It's not like, a, oh, I'm telling you something you don't know. He says, well, you know I can't. So I think it's something that they both know can't happen, but they're actually finally talking about it, which can be really like painful, but like, I don't know. It's very sweet. Like the way that the conversation ends, but it's gotta be so hard to like actually bring it up because they, they both have to know because he's not alive. It's not like he can create life. I read it a little bit differently. I, I thought he was giving her new information there. Like Mm. I, I think she hadn't really, considered it before yeah i kind of saw it as that too yeah um i don't know i feel like her response she kind of takes a beat and then quickly reassures him Mm. while she kind of gathers herself together like oh okay my boyfriend can't have kids that's oh that's fine yeah um i don't know yeah i think it was news to her or that's how i read it Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think she was trying to downplay it to make him not feel bad. But I think in that mm. moment, she was kind of like, oh, I hadn't thought about that before. And I think it's the kind of thing that she's going to have to go walk away and process a little bit later when she's away from him. Well, she um, also downplays yeah. it too. She's like, oh, well, like, like I'm not going to have time for kids. She's kind of making it sound like she doesn't really think about having kids when like, I feel like that's not really the case. Like she's somebody who would want kids, who wants normal life. But I think it's also like, even outside of like the show and stuff, I think it's very normal when you're so in love and so unwrapped with them that when you're in the relationship, you're like, oh yeah, I'll give up this, 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 and this, as long as I keep them, as long as I have them, I'll be, I'll be okay and I'll be satisfied. And I think that that can be and could be true for Buffy and Angel, that if they had each other, that they would be completely fine. Um, and like happy and everything. Um, but I think it's a lot easier to say no to things when you're in the relationship and in love. Yeah. And she's also so young and really doesn't know how long she's going to live. Like she literally can't look five years ahead. She doesn't even know if she'll be alive. So I, I, I read this whole scene as like, I, I don't know what my future brings, but I see you in it and I, and I want you in it. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. like, let's talk about kids later when I'm still alive, hopefully. Yeah, totally. I, yeah, I I agree. I don't have anything else to add. You guys nailed it. Um, (laughs) So she says, yeah, he says, so you don't think about a future, but he says no. And he says never. And she says no. And he says, you really don't care what happens a year from now, five years from now. She says, Angel, when I look into the future, all I see is you, which is so important because, I mean, this is hard because you have Angel who's lived so long and so much of life already. And so you know he's got to be thinking about these things. But I think Mm -hmm. it's a testimony to how much like how much he loves Buffy and how in love he is. The fact that he hasn't brought it up until now, because I think that deep down he knows that like this probably will be an issue for her one day when she's older and knows what she wants. Yeah. There's also a line in the, in the shooting transcript that was cut and it's tiny, but Buffy, before she says, when I look into the future, all I see is you, she says, um, I can't care when I look into the future, all I see is you. I think that's really, 
I actually like I think that that's better. Really in, I like it better, and I think it's it tells us loads. Like she, yeah. I mean, it does what it says on the tin. She she can't care. She doesn't even know if she'll be around. Yeah. Yeah. Oh dang. It's heavy. Yeah, it's, heavy. it's really heavy. Yeah. Well, and it makes so much sense because she she died already. So in mm-hmm. that, if if I had died and I knew that I could die, I mean, I know I can die any day, but like as a vampire slayer, like your morality is just like so shortened. There's this sense of like I have to live every day, every mm-hmm. moment to the fullness, and I can't plan too far in the future, or else I lose out on what I'm actually doing in this moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just want Angel there. Understandable, right? <laughs> and Angel looks a little shell-shocked by that because mm-hmm. I don't think he realized how much Buffy cares for him until that moment. Um, and she says, all I want is you. And then he says – because I was fully expecting him to say, okay, something rational, something – you know. And he says, I know the feeling. I know the feeling. Oh, it's so cute but so sad. I know. And the kisses that they have right here are just very different. Like the kisses they had in the beginning was very – it was – lustful it was very just like we're kissing because it's fun and like i care for you but this these are deeper kisses Mm -hmm. these are we've just shared a part of ourselves with each other we've just shared how much we care for each other like these are very intimate kisses yeah Um, i feel like this whole scene is like so short but it's a massive moment for their relationship yeah i agree and the camera pans over to a gravestone that's engraved with in loving memory as the music becomes sad and wistful i i noted that i was like man like this has to be a reason why they're pinning over a grave it's just like if they continue on in this he's not gonna age and she's gonna grow old she's not gonna have kids like they love each other so much but it's like at at what cost you know well and i mean there's heavy foreshadowing up until now that you know she she's only 16 Mm -hmm. and she doesn't quite know where she's going to be at. But then also on top of that, she could die and leave Angel alone. You know, mm-hmm. he's a vampire. How does that going to work? Yeah. There's just and, – and is he a distraction from her slayer duties? Mm-hmm. You know, and there's just a lot of stuff going on. So it, it's just – it's hard to look at this and go, oh, I don't know how they're going to make it. I don't know how this is not doomed, you know? <laughs> so sad. All right. So – in the school hall, a security guard is locking up, hears a noise from the basement, and goes down to investigate. And the lighting is interesting because he's like backlit by very red light, um, which again, a lot reds and purples are very prominent in this episode. Finds a hole cut in the wall, and then Mr. Whitmore hits him over the head with a pickaxe, and he falls in. Which at this <laughs> point, all we know is Mr. Whitmore is the mastermind behind this whole thing. So then Buffy climbs into the window in time to see her egg moving um, and an alien type thing jumps at her, then crawls under the bed, which I read this interesting question. Is Angel actually preoccupying Buffy or is he helping? Because if she wasn't out late with Angel, then she would have come Mm. back in and the egg, the alien would have got her. So there's like a couple of messages here. So like they're trying to show us, oh, she's preoccupied. She's preoccupied. But like. Is she really? Like, is Angel actually, mm-hmm. like, helping her, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Buffy grabs an iron and is trying to find the alien. He falls on her back. She flings it off. And then we have that horrible scene where she's, like, standing it's there with the scissors. Gross. And it, like, pans around her. And you see, like, the little thing, like, scurry Ooh. up the wall. Mm-hmm. She stabs it and immediately calls Willow, which I was like, good on you, I Buffy. I also, like, <laughs> noted, like, it's kind of stupid to have the eggs hatch like at a certain time like 
at night instead of like having the eggs hatch when they fall Mm -hmm. asleep because coming from someone who never slept as a high schooler like i would be going to bed at like 4 a.m and waking up at 6 a.m so it's like if this egg was in my room and i started to see it hatch i'd be like nope and i'd throw it out the window (laughs) like i just think that it like there was a little bit of a flaw in the system there because it's like a lot of people would have had yeah. time to react. Mm-hmm. The mother bazaar has made just like a blanket assumption that everybody is asleep at two a.m. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> safe time from her limited knowledge probably of humans and their <laughs> sleeping habits. I mean, if Willow was her like poster child for every student, then she probably would be correct. But not I even that Willow was awake. Oh yeah, everyone is awake right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. she had to be asleep in order yeah. for that thing to like actually get her but like i can imagine willow like like having a schedule every night and then falling asleep at like 10 30 my question is why did the bazaar like not latch onto them the night before why did it choose tonight like because it totally could have taken over buffy the night before i have a theory and i okay. don't know I if it's theory. i was waiting for that well <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> i always just assumed that the first night it was lying over their faces to gather strength so that on the second night it was strong enough to like leap out and take control of them. Mm, but I that would make sense. Yeah, I don't know if it's true. It just it could have been also assessing how strong they were, so that it knew how much willpower it would take to overpower them. Yes, but like because they're so sluggish the following day, it's mm. like it, the egg has taken some of their, literally taken some of their energy, mm. and then has enough to like oh. escape. Oh yeah. That's yeah, that's a that's a good point. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Cause I was like, why that Mama Bazora is just like all over the map over here. <laughs> um, so Willow says she put her egg in the fridge, thinks maybe it's a trap for the Gorsh brothers, hangs up the phone, and then you see that the inside of the egg is broken open with a purple goo inside. Um and then okay, Joyce didn't hear Buffy like banging around and like attacking this thing, but she heard the phone call. Like because oh she comes gosh. in. And is like well, she might have come in because of the banging, and then heard the phone call on the way. It took her a long time to get up and get dressed and go down the hall if she thought that something was urgently happening. Ooh, I don't know. It's like a good solid two minutes, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. So it says Buffy is grounded. This transition is excellent because she says, "You know, you're grounded for like forever," and then it cuts to the car and She's they continue talking. the conversation. Yeah. The transitions in this show are so well done. So good. She says, means no after-school socializing, no bronze, no nothing, not until I say so. And she wants Buffy to study at the library until 5.30, and then Joyce will come pick her up. Um, So Buffy immediately goes to Cordy and asks if her egg is acting weird. (laughs) Cordy's like, it's an egg, not a sentient being, Buffy. (laughs) Or what did she say? It doesn't emote or something. It was so funny. I want to know why Cordelia's hatched late. That is a good question. I don't know. (laughs) Everyone else is hatched at like 2 a.m., Except for Xander's because he boiled it. But Cordelia's hatched at like 2 p.m. Yeah, I don't know. Uh. What if What if it had already hatched? What if it had, but we just saw it kind of like pushing out the eyes of the bear? Maybe. I don't know. I, I, it, I always got the impression that Cordelia didn't have it hatched until they were in the uh, lab. Yeah, I think that's what you're supposed to be thinking. But yeah, that, that's a really good point. Like, yeah, see, this this episode <laughs> has some huge, huge plot holes. It's just hard. It's hard to get it like a grasp of where they're trying to go with this whole thing. Yeah. I mean, when I first watched the scene, I think we all assume everything's fine. But in hindsight, I'm thinking she is already being controlled 
by the bazaar. Yeah. And she's just acting. But then why did they feel the need to like show the legs poking out of the bear? <laughs> I do not know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm so confused by this episode. <laughs> <laughs> that is okay. All right, moving on. So then we see Willow. She puts her hand on Buffy very ominous like, and she's wearing that purple and green shirt, which I was like, which is very different from her color palette for um, how it's been from the beginning of the episode. It's just very different. Buffy's wardrobe, if you'll notice, is back to normal. Buffy's been wearing purples. Now she's wearing like her normal like grays and like cool blues and stuff. And she's got like a pink cami on underneath. Um, back to pastels. And Willow asks um, about the egg. And then we see Xander over there not liking his bar or whatever. And he's – sorry, Junior, decides to eat his egg. This scene gives me nightmares. <laughs> it's also, like, gross because, like, he's had that egg for who knows how long. It's <laughs> history in his hands. Like, and the Ew. fact that he's like, hmm, I'm hungry. Going to eat this germ-filled egg that I've been carrying in my sweaty pockets for the past couple days. Like – Oh, it's such just a Xander thing to do. Well, just because it's like a hard-boiled egg that's covered by a shell, the temperature in your pants and then just walking around yeah. would be enough to – It would be busting. bad. Yeah. Ew. And then Cordelia, I noticed – see, okay, I thought that Cordelia was possessed at this point when I watched it again because she purposely – like you have Willow on one side of Buffy and then Cordelia comes up and doesn't say anything, just walks silently next to Buffy, like both of them walking. So it like would make sense if she was already being controlled by this thing I, at this point. I personally think she yeah. was because when she asks her where her egg is, she's like, what's in my bag? Like I feel like she's kind of saying it as if like, oh, I don't want to reach in and get it. Because I don't want to show you that it's like probably somewhere on her back or something like um, Willow's mm -hmm. is. But I think the reason why they didn't show that the um, the alien or whatever it was was possessing her is because they want it to be a shock when she leans over and grabs the bat and hits them. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I, just, I agree. Here's what doesn't make sense. When the, when the ache thingies are on everyone else, they don't move. They stay still. They are attached onto the, their back. But if it was already controlling uh cordelia then why was it moving no one else moved it just doesn't make sense no it doesn't make sense i don't know <laughs> I, I just i just don't have an answer for <laughs> yeah Come i on, don't then. either i don't either yeah so we see the camera pans down we see the thing is attached to willow there's like blood it's That's just the whole gross. thing xander xander almost eats his alien <laughs> freaks out <laughs> I'm glossing past it because it makes me like physically ill when I think about mm -hmm. it for too long. <laughs> Willow great. comes into the lab and says Giles will be there in a few, but that they should get started, which then you're like getting warning bells going off in your head that something funky's going down. Can I tell you about an Easter egg in this? Yes. It's just yes. yes, 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 please do. So on the uh, on the chalkboard behind Willow in this scene, there's a little box, and in the box is written "posting board," and that was um, a shout out that Joss decided and the crew decided to put into the episode as like a hello to the um, the fans who were using the, the official posting board. Yeah, the Buffy boards at the time, which was Aww. called the Bronze, and it was on the it was hosted by the WB website and um yeah they used to, joss used to go on there quite often and be like hey fans tell me what you think of the show oh, and then that's so cute. Cute. you put a few little hellos to them throughout the series and i think this might be the first one first or second one that's Love really that. cool fun little yeah. easter egg thanks for sharing that yeah. i did not catch Another. that at all so 
then Xander and Buffy argue about who's going to dissect it. Cordy's bear starts moving. The tentacles come out of its eyes. Buffy theorizes that this thing attacked Mr. Whitmore. Willow says it's possible that Mr. Whitmore wasn't harmed. Maybe the offspring used him to return to the mother Bizor, which at this point, like we hadn't learned what this thing was. We didn't know anything. And so Cordelia is like bending over oddly. Xander, like, wait a minute, clues in. And then Cordelia conks out Buffy and then Willow knocks out Xander, which this is like, whoa. And I think it's really interesting that – it's Xander and Buffy who get knocked out and are the only two people who aren't possessed. And it's very – it's a dynamic that we haven't really seen for a while. Like, mm-hmm. it's really kind of fun to watch Buffy and Xander work together. I think mm-hmm. it's honestly one of the highlights of this episode. Um, I wanted to read real fast about – they were talking about how, like, Buffy and Xander are deemed the irresponsible ones out of the mm-hmm. gang because Cordelia is demonstrated to be a good student. Willow is obviously a good student. You have Giles and everybody else. But I think it's interesting that like you have the two irresponsible ones. And I mean, they have to go like research. They have to go do all this stuff. And it's putting them out of their element. But I think it's also showing that everyone's underestimating them and mm-hmm. that they actually are responsible and they actually are more on top of things. See this whole scene in like – the library when they're trying to like research and stuff, I felt like it was kind of it was a cop it, it out. It was kind of really easy. They're like, okay, so we have to um research. Uh okay, uh let's have to go through um hundreds of books upstairs, but then they look around and there's one opened up to the specific page that Giles was like ironically looking at. They're like, oh, here it is. All right, that was easy. I'm like if this was like real life and they had to look through all of it, they would miss everything that would happen downstairs and then whatever the alien's name was would completely inhabit the earth or whatever. Yeah, right it definitely now. was a uh, plot device. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, the earth was literally saved by Giles having done the research beforehand. If he hadn't, like, they'd still be up there when everything yeah. went And down. it's also like, when did Giles have the time to do all the research when he had no prior knowledge of this thing? Like, he hadn't even seen what the alien thing looked like. How does he have the time to be, like, a librarian, a watcher, and then also <laughs> research things in a in a perfectly mannered time of exactly when they need it in every episode? Well, I mean, I think he researches during the day because no one goes in the library. But, like, when you think about it, there's, like, he had to have, like, a great filing system where it's, like, this is specifically for this sort of thing. This is specifically for this sort of thing. I mean, and that alone would take forever to, like schedule everything out in the library because i just can imagine like so many i feel books. like he spent many many years training at the watcher school mm. for this exact moment <laughs> no but yeah i think you guys are thinking way too deeply for this episode just turn your I brains think off the writers didn't think deeply enough <laughs> writer martin oxen thank you very much she got a promotion out of this episode so apparently it worked. she did and i i was reading um but um vampires and slayers at the moment the oral history of buffy have you read that book i haven't but i'll add it Um, to my list (laughs) add it to your list but marty is like very forthcoming in saying that her whole um her strength in writing is around relationships like they will usually bring her in for an episode where it's very relationship specific i know that doesn't really apply to this episode Mm but i feel like the scenes between characters, like the ones between Buffy and Angel, are very strong. And yeah, the supernatural yeah, stuff has some questions hanging over it, but yeah. Yeah, Marty tends to be hit or miss. I think she has some really good moments, but then it also she kind of hits misses the mark on some things too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so before we get to the library, 
uh, Cordelia Willow and a couple other students, they dump them in the closet. Then we see a bunch of – like pretty much everybody going to the shed, grabbing tools, some teachers as well. Then they go to the basement that's guarded now by Mr. Whitmore. And in the library, it's evening and Joyce goes looking for Buffy. Giles is there. And this scene is very cleverly acted by Anthony Stewart Head because he is possessed at this point yeah. or taken over. And you can tell something is slightly off, but he's just enough Giles for you to kind of be lulled yeah. into a sense of Honey security. Honey did a great job acting in this part. Um, if I was yeah. Joyce, though, and then she saw like that random hell book, I'd be so creeped out. And he's like, oh, it's just like a hobby of mine. I'd be like, what hobby? That line killed me. He goes, it's just a hobby of mine. Uh, nothing to do with Buffy, though. <laughs> and then um, Joyce is frustrated with Buffy. She says, do you have children, Mr. Giles? I love that he goes, hmm? And you're kind of like, whoa, does he have children? Like we, like for a minute, we're all like, we want to know. Mm -hmm. um, and then she's like, should I be whispering? He's like, no, I don't have any children. Although sometimes I feel as though I do working here. And then that whole... I don't want to say burden, but yes, I kind of do want to say burden. And he says, feel free. Um, and then she just says they're so irresponsible. I feel like if this was actual Giles and sober mind, like he would have been like, yeah, like Buffy can be irresponsible, but I've seen her kind of like yeah. step. Like mm -hmm. I feel like he would have come to Buffy's defense a little mm -hmm. bit more because we've seen him do that before. And so like – a part of me kind of wishes that he was actually like Giles in this scene so that he could have been like defending Buffy, you know, but it's okay. Well, I think he's a little distracted. You can kind of tell that like he's not – like he's just keeping her talking. And then once mm -hmm. he places the bazaar on her, you're like, okay, this makes sense. Uh, so then Giles and Joyce join the students and then Buffy and Xander wake up go to the library, they find the book, and then they see the eggs, the eggshells, and realize that Giles is under the Bazaar's control. Um, and then everyone's still climbing through the hole in the basement, harvesting eggs from the hole in the floor. While Xander and Buffy are doing their research up in the library, we learn that it's a prehistoric parasite. The mother hibernates underground, laying eggs. The offspring then attach themselves to a host through neural clamping. They are being controlled by the mom, Xander. So what does mama want? And I think like this is, again, supposed to be symbolic of Buffy and Joyce's relationship. They hear Jonathan yelling, which poor Jonathan, he's like always the one in trouble. I think it's funny that he's like screaming bloody murder. And then like he just like stops and he's like, oh, never mind. And just like keep talking. Fine. Buffy, I think I hear mommy calling. Xander's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> So they follow Jonathan to the basement, see the hole. Xander, do we really want to go in there, Buffy? We really don't. <laughs> Xander, careful. Then just like falls. I know that part was funny. <laughs> Peak humor right there. Um, so we see the eggs being harvested, realize they can't get spread around or else everyone's going to become possessed by this horrible monster. Buffy needs a weapon. So she leaves, which I was like, Buffy, there's like tons of weapons in there. Like, why don't you just go grab one from mm -hmm. someone? I just don't understand why she felt like she needed to go back out. <laughs> and then Xander <laughs> pretends to be under the Bizor's control, grabs the carton from Giles and then just like okay. dumps it. I like, I audibly laughed at that part. He just like hands him a brick and he's like, he like waits till Giles walks away and he just like tosses <laughs> it. it to the side. <laughs> but this yeah. is okay. This man, I feel like such an annoying person in this episode, but this is another <laughs> inconsistency because when somehow in the lab, Cordelia 
and Willow were able to sense that each other had the egg on them and that Buffy and Xander didn't. But in here, Xander doesn't have an egg and no one notices. Not even Cordelia doesn't notice. So, like, it doesn't make sense. Like, how could they know before and not know now? (laughs) What? I don't know. (laughs) Okay. Also, I wrote down. asking questions about this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Marty knocks and is like, guys, you're not supposed to ask questions. You're just supposed to to focus on the fact that Angel and Buffy are in love. (laughs) (laughs) Loud smoochies. Loud smoochies. (laughs) Okay. So this scene when they're like in there and they're taking out the eggs or whatever. I was like, in my mind, I was like. Is this the why? This is the reason why they had the cowboys come in because it seems like they're farming. Like they're coming in and they're like they're they're taking like these like um <laughs> like <laughs> no, it's it, like it's like they look like they're actually digging up like soil for one, and then they're picking out like the eggs and then they're putting it in like hay baskets, and then they're walking away. And I'm like, and then the cowboys come in. I'm like, what what is happening? I here? also am so curious as to why there is like. A mass amount of like farming tools in the basement of That's this what school. I'm saying. Like, That's what what I'm are saying. they there for? Like, I understand having like one axe or something, you know, if it's needed, but like, why is there enough for a whole group of students to do some like farming work? That seems extremely excessive. But is the mom supposed to be like the mother chicken and then like <laughs> mother hen? <laughs> this episode is just all over the place. <laughs> um, Maybe ugh, why am I this <laughs> ridiculous thing? Maybe every time someone was taken over by their like mini parasite, they brought a tool from home. <laughs> it's like bring your own tool. It's like a party. It's gonna bring your but, own bre- beer. It's like bring your own tool. But then the basket. If anyone has some spare hay from their guinea pig, bring that. That would be really helpful. If anyone could bring um, maybe know. some bigger tools, and then some of you bring smaller ones. We don't, we, you know, the older the older crowd kind of gets sore, we, so they're going to need smaller tools. We don't hear from the teacher for days, but then we send home a memo being like, needed bigger, <laughs> bigger shovel. Please bring to class. <laughs> I won't be there, but I need the shovel. It's for the lab exper- experiments, I promise. And it's like a giant, like, tool. <laughs> Like farming tool maybe with mr whitmore had that day off because he was going to i don't know what your equivalent of b and q is but it's like a big tool probably store Lowe's. Here, big diy shop um maybe he was there <laughs> buying all of the tools <laughs> he has this little like thing on his back like get money and tools <laughs> yes Yes. He like takes out his whole salary just buying farming or tools. Or maybe like whatever the alien's name is, the mother hen alien, um, decided to give him a different parasite. <laughs> that, that's like intelligent. <laughs> that like told him like, okay, you have to get all the equipment. You have to escape and no one has to find you. You have to like um, knock out the security it's guard. It's like a voice. It's like and then when everyone, everything. And then when everyone comes in, you have to pass out all of the equipment to them and he's like okay this is these are my duties these are my this is my job yes let, that's that is now canon that's <laughs> we have confirmed the actual plot <laughs> this is giving me serious reptile boy no. we haven't released that one yet but the girls were quite oh no we did release it this past week the girls were quite horrified to find out that um makita is you know essentially Op it, a don't do that <laughs> to me. you ruined the and whole illusion i for me. 
I never thought about that before. And then Sarah brought it up. And I, like, when I was looking, because I'm, I'm in charge of, like, um most of the time posting and finding the pictures. And so, like, looking at the pictures, mm-hmm. I, I physically couldn't look at pictures where it was just Makita. It was disgusting. I was like, I can only see that. <laughs> I, I'm literally I'm scarred. Thank you, Sarah, for that. You're welcome. <laughs> and, I mean, I, I, I wonder if this Bezor – this mama hen is supposed to be kind of like a vagina, you know, Ew, it's in the ground. <laughs> references. I'm sorry, but I mean, I- it is, it's laying a bunch of eggs. So it's definitely like the equivalent of a female well, demon in the scent or a, a mother demon. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the Daleks from Doctor Who. I was about like, to say, it reminds me of like the alien shell, from Darlet. Because like, they're very like, yeah. It's very brainy, like mm-hmm. the texture, um, and the eyes are kind of very similar too. Yep. Only people who have watched Doctor Who know what we're talking about, but it looks like the what the actual Dalek looks like inside the whatever that's called. Oh. Yeah, but there's a very clear like correlation with mothers, mm-hmm. and like then you have the Bezor, the Mama Bezor, and it's you know control yeah. and all that stuff. So anyway, all right. So they have tools. Back to the episode. <laughs> okay so the eggs are being harvested and um the gorch brothers show up and tector's like she's so cute and little do you think we can keep her which i mean like way to just be patronizing Mm -hmm. and like you know it's a good way to throw off the person you're fighting is you know i will say i was gonna say demasculate them these characters are it was really funny because they're 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 like oh we're gonna come here and kick your butt and then they walk in he's like what the hell is this? It's like that's how we all feel in this episode. I laughed so hard at that. <laughs> and then Bobby sees her mom and calls out without missing a beat. Willow says, "Kill them!" And Lyle and her are both essentially fighting together against all yeah. these. And then they'll like turn and attack each other, and then they'll go yeah. and they'll fight. <laughs> I love it. Yep. Um. So Xander is still following Cordelia. He takes out her bodyguard. I guess that's what that guy was doing. Who's following to protect the eggs. Um, he says, Cordelia, I don't want to hurt you he some of the time. Me. He like she like hits him and he goes, That's my bum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from like the last time that she hit yeah, him. Yeah, he like gets all madder. <laughs> okay. I know I'm I'm really, really trying not to nitpick everything that Sandra does, but like he reacted out of anger and hit her in this moment, but because she like hit his bump rather than like knocking her out to stop her. I don't know if I'm like really trying to like nitpick everything he does, but like he just like, oh, I don't want to hurt you. He was trying to be all heroic. Um, and then she like messes up his hair or something. And then out of anger, he's like, he's like, God, that's my hair, and then punches her. And I'm just like, oh, Sander. That just seemed like kind of like a reflex sort of sort of thing. Like he was kind of like mad about something and then like hit her. But I don't know if I'm reading into it. Well, she was she was starting to attack him. I just saw it as self-defense. I didn't see it as like he was like actively trying to hurt her or whatever. Yeah, I read it that way too. And I and I love to nitpick Xander. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, yeah, well, so we'll give him half a star. We like have a star rating system now for yeah. Xander. He gets gold stars. Sarah has a star well. rating system. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I noticed that in another episode and I was like, yes, this is a good system for him. <laughs> Love a chart. Um, so then Tector sees the mama Vizor. She opens her eyes and he's all like, hello there. And I think, again, this is interesting because Tector is the one who, like, he obviously has, like, a weird relationship with his own mother and also has, like, a weird relationship with Lyle where Lyle stepped in to be, like, a surrogate parent. 
Um, and so I don't know. It's an it's an interesting but flawed metaphor <laughs> that they have for eating like a him. vagina. The fact that you said he has a weird relationship with his mother. <laughs> no, I'm just sorry. I was not thinking that at all. But you know, like he has mommy issues. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> Again, this all it's not very clear. It's not very well done. So you're like trying to figure out where they're going with all of this and it's just not consistent and it's a little frustrating but anyway moving on um lyle turns to buffy this is all your fault and she was like how (laughs) throws buffy to the ground joyce tries to chop her with an axe and then the mama bazaar pulls buffy in with one of her tentacles and buffy grabs an axe as she goes in and i think it's interesting that like none of the children or whatever actually like try to help or anything they just stand there and just watch as buffy wails on their mom like it's just really bizarre yeah i don't get okay. it okay and i don't know if i'm reading into this one but like when she like comes out and she's covered in the mush mm-hmm. i just kept thinking of like mm-hmm. a baby coming out of the womb I don't know if that was mm-hmm. meant to be, but I just was like, oh, please don't tell me that's what they're trying to do. She's just like coming out and like, yeah, I don't know. She just looks like she's covered in afterbirth. I don't know. I didn't take it that way. I took it more of just like Buffy has defeated the other monster and it was a really creepy monster and she just looks like super VA. I hope, I hope that's what she really saying. does. That That's I, a super cool moment. They, they This is in the credits, isn't it? Is it in the credits this season or in – is this a spoiler? That they put this in the season three, that that exact shot ends up in the in the credits, and it's very cool. Mm-hmm. Her just like emerging, covered in goo. Mm-hmm. It's cool. Oh, yeah, it's a phenomenal shot. It's really well done. Well, and I mean, she looks so scary. And uh, Lyle's like, "All right, it's over," which is cool because at the beginning he said, "This ain't over," and then he actually like tips his hat to her in respect. Um, and leaves, which I was like, okay, that was like a, like a cool way of like rounding it out. You just feel very unsatisfied because you're like, okay, I feel like we're heading to a big showdown, but then we didn't see the big showdown. It was cool that she got to come out and she like survived, but then you're just like, okay, I don't know. Anyway, reading into it. And like Tecta was right all along. Lyle is like very scared of the Slayer and he should be. Yes. Yeah. No, that's a good point. And he never had a plan because- And he never had a plan. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so outside the school, Giles is telling everyone that it was a gas leak, which I was like, that's a really clever um, cover up because if everybody passed out, it would make sense like if there was gas. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, these gas things will happen. And then to Xander, what was it really? And Xander's like, stick with the gas. I'll fill you in tomorrow. I thought it was interesting that Giles naturally just fell into the role of like creating a cover story. Like he knew that even though he had no idea what was going on, like he knew someone had to handle it. Um, I also think this moment is very interesting. Willis says, did I really hit you? Xander, yes, you knocked me out. Cordelia, did I hit you? Xander, yes, everyone hit me. Cordelia, good. Well, I don't mean good because I hit you, but I don't want, or I didn't want to be left out. I think another hint of like the love triangle that's forming and happening, like Cordelia not wanting to be left out and knowing that Willow and Xander have a very strong relationship and friendship. Then Buffy shows up all clean. looks like she showered and like put on some gym clothes or something Mm -hmm. that was in her locker. Mm-hmm. Um, asks how her mom is, which we're all like, okay, does her mom know? Does her rem- mom mom remember? And Joyce is just still very angry, said, young lady, you have to learn some responsibility, okay? Once and for all, Buffy, I'm grounded. Joyce, you're already grounded. Buffy, oh, yeah. 
So she's now confined to her room, cannot leave her room except for school and the bathroom. And then, okay, this the way this is shot, because you hear like the owls hooting, you hear the crickets chirping, you see the trees in the background, and you're like, okay, well, I guess Buffy just snuck out again. Yeah, which I mean, it's not like hard for her to do. Yeah, and we've seen her do it before. But it pans back and they're like kissing and it's very Romeo and Juliet with her like mm-hmm. leaning out the window. So sweet. Oh, yeah, so precious. What a great way to end oh. a weird episode. I love it. <laughs> end on some bangle love, and I'll be happy. If an episode is weird, but yeah, there's like exactly. bangleness in it, I'll watch it. And again, yep. it's it's always Angel being like, uh, it's always Angel looking out for Buffy. Like, are you sure? Like, is, yeah. is this okay? And Buffy's like. Just keep kissing me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. <laughs> I mean, and they just both look so precious. Like, the like how happy he is to be kissing mm-hmm. her. And then, you know, Joyce is like, all right, Buffy, you know, are you, it's time for bed or are you getting ready for bed? And Buffy's like, okay, just a minute. And then they just go back to kissing again. Like, Yeah, it's very it's Romeo just... and Juliet, actually. Joyce plays – that's like the nurse calling out. And she's like, in a minute, mm-hmm. in a minute. Mm-hmm. Very good. Mm-hmm. Yep. Joseph is Shakespeare, man. He loves it. So that was bad eggs, guys. We made it through. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> we made it through, and I feel like we made it interesting. <laughs> we did. Yeah. I think I think people will enjoy it. I think people will have more questions of their own. Maybe some people will have answers. If you listeners out there have any answers to any of the myriads of questions that we have put in front of you, please do not hesitate to reach out to us. Um, you can find us on Instagram at Becoming Buffy Podcast, or you can email us at Becoming Buffy Podcast at gmail.com. And Bex, where can we find you? Oh, okay. If if you're really into Bangel content, you can find yes. me on Instagram. Um, and my account is bangel.insurgent. <laughs> Lol. Um, <laughs> that's, that's, not that's, part where of that's where I am guys if you just want like constant content about Buffy and Angel kissing then come it's join me yeah and you have some like you have some great stuff and behind the mm-hmm. scenes and just like great videos and yeah I enjoy it it's fun and we have like Thank good you. conversation so yeah thanks Bex for joining us and if you guys have seen all of Buffy and you want to know spoilers then stick around for our spoiler section Scooby Secrets coming in just a minute Welcome back to Becoming Buffy. Uh, This is our Scooby secret section. So just a warning, we are going to be talking lots of spoilers. And today especially because we have Bex with us. And we're going to be talking spoilers for all of Buffy, all of Angel. Yeah, pretty much their history. So if you do not want to know spoilers, you haven't seen the rest of the show, then go ahead and exit here and come join us when you are ready. If not, then let's get into it because we have quite a few things to talk about. All right. So let's talk about the obvious one, which is the foreshadowing of the next episode and really the rest of the season and of Buffy and Angel sleeping together. Yeah. The consequences of Buffy having sex. <laughs> Here we go. I think that this episode was fun, and I do think that there's a lot of good about it. But personally, I would have wanted a better episode before the next one. Like, I do like that this one furthers the relationship between them two. So in that like respect, it was good. But I feel like they could have done a better job of conveying this metaphor 
um, than what was given. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, when you guys first watched um, Surprise and Innocence, did you like? Were you shocked? Can you remember whether it came as a surprise or were you like, "Oh yeah, I, I knew"? Or did you have it spoiled for you before? Um, honestly, it's been so long, uh, but I do remember. I remember feeling uneasy because, like, the whole episode had been leading up to them having sex, and a part of me just knew there was going to be something. Mm-hmm. Like, I knew it couldn't have just been that easy for them because, like, it everything in their relationship wasn't easy. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect him to lose his soul, but I knew something was going to happen. I So, like, when he started, like, getting up and screaming, I was like, oh, Okay, yeah. I thought some curse had been placed on him. Like, well, I mean, something had, but like, I I didn't think it was that. I thought it was like he was going to become a villain for like an episode. Like, I didn't see him becoming Angelus again mm-hmm. for like the rest of the season. So, in that respect, I do remember being like shocked, but I do remember just feeling like it's too easy. Like, yeah. I just remember thinking that the whole episode, like, it's going too well. Yeah. So I actually knew a ton of spoilers of the show before I watched it, which is I it sucks, but like that's just how it was because Sarah and I think my older sister Hannah watched it at least I think at least Hannah watched the first three seasons. I don't know if she's watched the rest. Um, but when I was like in junior high, um, Sarah was watching it for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I remember Sarah telling me, talking to me about it because she wanted to I needed to talk, to talk about, about it with somebody. <laughs> and so um, I, so Sarah said, and I remember, I vividly remember this. I was in my room and Sarah was like, oh my gosh, like Sarah had, um, Buffy had to, uh, for, for a second, I, I thought I was about to spoil everything, but I realized we're on Scooby Secrets. Um, <laughs> she's like, oh, like, like um, Angel is like bad and stuff. And she had to like kill him. And then um, he comes back. And so I knew those spoilers going coming mm-hmm. in. And then, um, so I, I didn't know specifically that it was like, like having sex and like that he had like a, a soul. But I'm, I'm very sad to say that I don't remember my first reaction to most of the show especially the first four seasons Mm -hmm. i don't remember my first reaction to them i do vividly remember my reactions to the later ones um but yeah and then i just i was on like a loop of watching the first like three seasons for years and years because i was Mm -hmm. just so depressed of angel leaving yes um and then i watched like four on over maybe i watched season four a little bit more but i watched like the later seasons like in like early college by myself what about you bex um i rem i mean it was so long ago but i remember being so like shocked i did not see this big twist coming and then uh, like just waiting for him to get his soul back like surely they will they will resolve this this is going mm-hmm. to be fixed and everything will be fine but then like later learning that joss whedon does not operate in that way and we will all be sad forever um, yep. <laughs> but I feel like the from surprise onwards, like season two is so like dark and poetic and beautiful, but especially from surprise mm. onwards. And I like this episode is fluffy and silly and there are plot holes and we all laugh about it. But I also mm-hmm. feel like because stuff gets so heavy from the next episode onwards, I kind of like that there is just a nice little light moment with like some classic horror tropes and some silliness and we further their relationship and make it clear that they're getting very like physical and then we're plunged into just like despair for the rest of the 
season. And I feel like because for a lot of people, what happens next comes with him losing his soul comes as such a shock. Maybe that comes Mm. from the episode before being like, everything's light and silly and isn't this show hilarious? Mm. And then like, bam. Oh. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I just I remember I did not expect it at all. And I, I had similar feelings to you, Bex. Like I I was like, oh my gosh, I think I've never hit like a play next button faster, like on Netflix, because I was watching it at the time, like to go watch the next episode. And I just remember I think I binged watched the rest of the episode or the season um in one night. And I remember because I totally thought it was just gonna be like, oh, one episode, two episodes, and Angel's gonna get his soul back. I did not think mm-hmm. he was gonna be the big bad villain because we had yeah. already had Spike and Drusilla. And so then, you know, we progress on. And I remember getting to passion and being like, holy crap, this is not like, okay, get his soul back. And then I thought with um, I only have eyes for you, I thought, okay, this is the episode he's getting his soul back. Mm-hmm. It didn't happen there. And then I'm starting to get nervous getting into becoming part two. Like, this is the finale. He still doesn't have his soul back. Yeah. And like, watch, like I kept looking to see like how much further we had in the episode and it's getting down to like the final last few minutes. And I was Ugh. starting to sweat because I was realizing like, she's actually going to have to go through with this. And then he gets his soul back and you're like, woohoo. And then you realize that the portal's already yeah. open. Like, oh. oh my goodness. It's, it is so heavy. It is heavy. And I think for me, I think the gift is like emotionally like a gut wrenching. And I think the gift and becoming part two, like her killing Angel are two of the most like emotionally resonant mm-hmm. um, season finales in the entirety of this show. You know, like I love Chosen, but seasons two is I feel like that is when Buffy just like she becomes an adult. She becomes a slayer. And mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I think beco- becoming is like peak peak Buffy. I mean, I watch seasons one to three basically on repeat. And I do love five, even though Angel isn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mm-hmm. feel like the latter part of season two is when Buffy like really, as a series, really found itself and everyone watching it and finding it at the time was like, what is this show? Like, this is incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It really like Joss, um, Marty Noxon talks about when Joss told her what was going to happen at the end of season two. And she was like, you can't do that to your audience. And then she was like, oh yeah, we can. And she realized like Joss was like, we need to give our audience what they want. And he's like, they don't want Buffy and Angel together, even though they think that's what they want, because once they get together, then it's like, well, where do we go from here? And so Joss is like, we have right. to keep them wanting more. And I'm like, yeah. all right, we're at the point 20 plus years later. We, we, we'd we like to see <laughs> them together now. <laughs> I know. Just give us a small clip of like old wrinkly Angel and Buffy holding hands on the Something. front porch. And I will be content Just, with that yes. one minute if, yes. of if conclusion. If ever like reboot the show, all I need is like one sentence where like Buffy pops in or something and it's just like, I want to go home to my husband Angel. That's all I need. Yeah, not e- not even that. I even- would be content with a reboot and then them just mentioning that there's a past Slayer who ended up with her angel. Yeah, that's, her, that, like, that's her, all like, I need. Mean. I don't even her, need them there. I just need to know. Her like, vampire I mean, I know, honey. Like, you know, that he needs like, to be named specifically or half of the fandom will be like, it was the other vampire. Bye. <laughs> yep. I, yeah, need, I need an true. episode where she has to definitively choose between Spike and Angel and she like without missing a beat just chooses Angel. Like I need that. I do. I need it too. I need it too. <laughs> 
Yeah. I mean, even in the last episode, I feel like we had that episode. Like, Angel offered to be the person with the amulet or whatever it's called. And she was like, No, I can't lose you. Made him go away and was like, I'll give it to Spike. I know. And I I love that that little scene. She was preferring. He's like, I don't know enough about this to risk you. And she's like, Well, I'm not risking you. Spike, you want to wear this necklace? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Um, I wanted to talk real fast about that scene that we – in the cemetery that we were talking about where she says, when I look in the future, all I see is you because we're talking about the finale. I think you were going to mention this too, Bex, but in Chosen – because they have that conversation and she's like, I'm cookie dough and all this stuff. But then as he starts to walk away, she goes, Angel, sometimes I do think about it. My My arm just tingled. I love this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's a callback to that moment to a simpler time and to show that like those feelings are real. And here she is literally five years later because he said, what we don't know where you're going to be in a year, in three years, in five years, a year later, he, he's leaving. Five yep. years later, she's saying, I still see a future with you. Yep. yep. Oh, yeah. Yep. My heart. I know. <laughs> kind of in a, I don't know. <laughs> um, um, when Buffy has that line to Giles where she, where she says, Giles, we are not helpless slaves to passion. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And this is the second time in this season that I've picked up that they've mentioned passion. Mm -hmm. They mentioned it once in the dark age with Giles and Jenny, and they've now mentioned it a second time with Buffy and Angel, which is so interesting because like, obviously there's the whole episode of passion where Jenny dies and, um, Angelus has that whole speech about what passion is and how it drives us and everything. But also, it's just so interesting that this line comes right before surprise, mm-hmm. where their passions literally lead them to having sex, which ends up having Angel lose his soul and, you know, tumbles through the whole ending of the season. So it's just like this one line in this one episode just like is so powerful when you know what is to come. Yeah. And I feel when that camera, we were talking about it earlier, when the camera pans across to the grave that says in loving memory, when you watch it, knowing everything that happens, like, oh God, is this like Angel's last moment? And they knew that they were going to kill off Angel at this point. Yeah. They didn't think Angel was going to come back. So they thought this was going to be the end for them. So for them, putting that in that scene, it was like their relationship is doomed. Mm-hmm. Like one of you is going to die, you know? Um, also, kind of talking about that scene of them in like the cemetery, um, when they were in the library and she talks about how she has to do it alone. She has to be like by herself and like kind of like, I mean, it's kind of like a silly thing, but it's like talking about like raising the egg. Um, She doesn't have a partner. She has to do it alone. It's kind of like foreshadowing. It's like, she's like, I don't know how to take care of people. And then I just kept thinking of like Dawn. Like she Mm -hmm. had to step into that position. Mm -hmm. She Mm -hmm. had to do it because she was alone. Like her mom ended up passing away. And like, we all know she like struggles a lot, but she ended up like sacrificing herself for her and like it's just so sweet like something that small where she's like so young she's not even like 17 yet and she's like i don't know how to take care of this like i'm like i don't know how to do this alone and then you know three years later she ends up sacrificing herself for a sister she didn't know she she ends up literally being a single mother you know because joyce dies so she takes care of dawn i mean like and she does a phenomenal job of it you know she loves her Mm -hmm. sister she says we're blood you know we're related and yeah, it's just, it's very precious. I think um, 
it's interesting to think about Buffy in season five wrestling with the fact that I don't know how to love, you know, I'm just a weapon Mm -hmm. and all this stuff. And Mm -hmm. I think back to bad eggs where she's freaking out over taking care of this egg, kind of having those same fears of like, I, I'm not responsible enough. I, and I, and Mm -hmm. I think it goes, it speaks to the power of words and our authority figures. If you have people constantly telling you you're irresponsible, you're this and that like Buffy doesn't feel like she's capable because she has people in her life telling her she's not or that she's not responsible. And I think that if maybe Joyce was a little bit more like, hey, Buffy, I believe in you. Like she was a little bit more like, hey, you're being responsible in this area. Like, good job. Like a little more encouraging that maybe Buffy would have had a little bit more confidence going into things um, and being like, hey, yeah, no, I can handle this, you know? Um, mm. But yeah. It is a shame, as you touched on earlier, that their relationship has kind of taken, or Joyce's faith in Buffy has taken a couple of steps back because, as you yeah. said earlier, in School Hard, she really realizes that Buffy is very responsible and like very level headed in a crisis mm-hmm. and apparently very physically strong and resourceful. And that's kind of all been forgotten in, in this episode. But I guess, again, as you said, like there was that whole Ted incident. So. Yeah. 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 Um, this site that I found, it's on Live Journal. It's from the user 2Maggie2. I know it sounds really weird, but she had some really good insights. She said, my generous reading of this episode, which focuses on teenage hormones, Buffy and Joyce's relationship, and the family ties of the Gorshes is all about how all of these programmed biological urges, sexual attraction, and blood ties are overwhelming to individual choice. Because remember, Joss is very much individual choice. The Bezor's children serve the Bezor and have no independent identities. The Sunnydale High students are taken over by their children and have no independent identities. Buffy's choices are constrained by Joyce, and Joyce's choices are constrained by Buffy. Both feel trapped by the relationship with Buffy, grounded by Joyce's apparently arbitrary edicts, and Joyce having to switch towns because of Buffy's apparently inexplicable behavioral problems. The scene Mm. where the two Gorshes joyfully beat on each other is another cynical commentary on what these biologically ordained relationships can do to us love and family as two people berating the heck out of each other and it's literally comes down to love makes us do the wacky you know and Mm -hmm. not just like romantic love but also familial love as well yeah and i mean even with xander and cordelia they're bickering like an old married couple in that in that utility room but actually they're just like really attracted to each other yeah well and they've known each other for like i think in uh the dark age they said 12, 12 years or something mm. so they've known mm-hmm. each other for almost as long probably that willow and xander have known each other um yeah and i think it's just over time you have these like programmed responses they've been like programmed to hate each other for so long that i think it's mm-hmm. like realizing oh if I say I have an attraction to you, that undermines my own identity and I don't want to go there. Yeah, but also my hormones are like really in control. Both of them have are so afraid of what other people are going to say. Um, and both of them have something to like, quote unquote, kind of lose in the relationship. And so I think they're both just so fearful of what others will think and say and do that they just are willing to risk like not having a healthy relationship. Yeah. And then when you think about, because we're allowed to spoil now, like Cordelia comes such a long way. Like she goes from like, I don't want to have the light on and please don't tell anybody that I've ever kissed you. And then there's that great scene. Is it season three where she's like, Harmony, shut up. Like 
I'm going out with Xander. Like, she really, you know, she grows. Yeah, absolutely. She totally does. And Xander doesn't. I think that's what makes him more mad is the fact that, like, Cordelia really falls in love with him and, like, changes and, like, becomes a better person. And Xander, I honestly feel like, becomes worse in the relationship. Mm. I feel like it's more of an, like, an ego stamp for him. He's like, oh, I got, like, Cordelia. And then he took her for granted. But it's also like being a young boy where he's like, oh, I, I got this milestone. And then, oh, there's a shiny new object that I've never tried out before, Willow. And then like – um, Yeah, and that it's whole thing thing. of like, oh, Willow's yeah. put on an evening dress and now I notice her. Yes. Like, oh, Well, and I think he sees the confidence that Willow – Willow's starting to gain more and more confidence as she – she comes more of herself. And then she starts dating Oz and Oz helps bring that out in her too. You know, when you're mm-hmm. in a loving, committed relationship where that person is good to you you become more confident. And so I think that mm-hmm. that over time, Xander is attracted to that and starts to notice that part of her, which, yeah, I don't know. Don't get me started, that whole that whole mess. <laughs> we'll get yep. there. Okay. So um, t- shifting gears slightly, but okay. So when I first watched Angel, I was – and I don't know how I got past or I didn't know about the huge spoiler that he had Connor – as a son, literally had no idea. Oh, good. I think people um, just refuse to talk about it. It's true. Um, but I also don't have like any friends who like like Buffy or Angel. So I think that was kind of easier to not see. But like when I found out that he was going to have a son, first of all, the, my first thought was like, I was so pissed because I remember this conversation. I was like, if he was going to have a child with anyone, why couldn't it be Buffy? <laughs> yeah. Um, pisses me off. But also, like, I understand why it was good for his character. And I'm not going to get into the whole, like, I wish that Connor as an infant had died and then not, like, pubescent Connor coming back and being all whiny and annoying. Um, I feel like it would have been good for his character if he had gone through some, like, severe loss and, like, depression and then, like, had grown through that. Um, But, like, I don't know. I just, I think it's kind of, like, and I, I appreciate how it, made Angel's character better and like Darla's character better but I just I still to this day I'm like I don't understand how two vampires could have a child like maybe if it was like like the it's angel because of, and Buffy. it's because remember when Angel went and fought for Darla when she was human he went and went dove into that like swimming pool that was empty and then went down there and they said um if you defeat this go through these series of trials you will gain a life for Darla cuz she was dying so Angel went through did all of that and then they said oh i'm sorry she already had a life we can't give it to her we didn't know that she was already like she was already a human at, at one point um so she's she's already had her second chance we're sorry so they leave the idea is that they still gave that life to darla but they gave it to her in the form of a son which was connor yeah oh yep okay so angels because when you realize you're like angel went through all that he didn't get anything and then at the very end of that season that is that whole thing is so grueling i'm like will you give this guy a break i know please literally (laughs) Well, he's like fighting for this woman who I don't think he ever truly loved. He didn't ever truly love. And he says that, but he feels an intense um, sense of responsibility and compassion. Well, I think it's just like he wants her to have a soul because that's what he has. And I think that he just like is fighting for anyone to have a soul. 
Yeah. He's yeah, yeah. He, he is fighting for everybody's soul and he and he and Dala like killed and brutalized so many people. Like if there's an opportunity for both of them to in any way make up or do some good to re- not reverse it, that's impossible, but you know, to redeem themselves, then he's going to go mm-hmm. for it. <sighs> Angel. I know. <laughs> Poor Angel. <laughs> Angel. <laughs> mm, Angel. Um, okay, so this same user, Maggie, to Maggie too, <laughs> she also had something else to say um, about the metaphor with Buffy and Angel with sex having bad consequences. She says, if the metaphor is that sex has bad consequences, then we presumably are supposed to consider Buffy to be irresponsible for ignoring the consequences of her forbidden love for a vampire. But in the same episode, we have the irony of her mother punishing her in the name of being irresponsible when the source of Buffy's supposed irresponsibility is being the slayer. Buffy Mm -hmm. undoubtedly makes a mistake with Angel. She has ignored the warning signs we see everywhere with Angel. But she is the 16-year-old slayer stuck in an impossible role, trying to find an impossible balance between her utterly divergent lives. And whatever Angel's intertwinement with Angelus, the fact remains that the lad has a soul, making him temporarily unique in the history of his kind. With that context, is she irresponsible for ignoring the consequences of loving an insold vampire when the specific consequences are so unforeseeable? Or is she merely doomed like a character in a Greek tragedy? And I just think that's like a really interesting concept to consider. And because I think that there's a lot that can be said about the metaphor that Joss is trying to show. There are very obvious metaphors of obviously after they sleep together, Angel turns into a complete douche. And so it's supposed to be, you know, he slept with her, he got what he wanted, even though we know that's not who Angel Mm -hmm. is. And then there's even like hints of um, Angel in a predatory position, even though we know Angel's not, but they do, they have those subtle Mm -hmm. undertones because they use Angel and Buffy's relationship to be a metaphor for many other things, even though we know their relationship Mm -hmm. is like, they do truly do care for each other and stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just interesting. What are you guys' thoughts? Um, I, Yeah, I have read before that uh, Joss and the writing team wanted to um, kind of give a nod to that very teenage or just first love experience or early relationships experience of, you know, you sleep with that guy and then you never hear from him again or he becomes a massive douche. I wonder how how much of this episode is them really trying to push this you shouldn't have sex, there are terrible consequences, whether they're trying to really push that belief or whether it's just like a ton of foreshadowing. I feel like it's yeah. the I feel like it's the latter. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I agree. Well, and I mean, because yeah, it's can. it's very easy to look at it and go, is Buffy being irresponsible? But then I'm like, I don't think she is being irresponsible. You know, and yeah. I think that like but then then you have moments afterwards when Giles and her are in the car and he says, mm-hmm. you made a mistake. And then Buffy's mom tells her, like, you were not careful. And Buffy says, I know. And so I think that, like, it's hard. Like, the show, in a way, tells us that she made a mistake. Mm-hmm. But we know in that moment that neither of them were doing it for nefarious reasons. They were simply in love. How could she ever have known like what right. was going to mm-hmm. happen? And like Angel doesn't know that he has this this action this little loophole. Like no one knows. They're just they just love each other, guys. Yeah. 
Yeah. I I struggle with when people are like, it was so irresponsible of Buffy and blah, blah, blah. It's like, how? Yeah. Like, how is she supposed to know that he's going to lose his soul? Like, no one knew. And so it's like taking his soul out of it. The worst thing that would have happened is that both Angel and Buffy would have realized years down the line, like, oh, you know, we don't work. But it's like they both are aware of that, whether they had sex or not. So having sex would not have changed the fact that they love each other and that like they both are aware of the fact that they may not have future. I think that kind of like what you guys were saying, I think that what Buffy does well is they use any situation they can to kind of throw in um, a metaphor for something that someone else has gone through, whether or not that character is actually doing Mm -hmm. that. So when I see that conversation with her and Joyce in the bedroom where she's like, I think you really screwed up. You weren't bringing like you weren't like, were you safe? You know, all those type of things that people normally would hear from their parents. I don't think Buffy herself was all those things. I think that they were just using that situation to kind of help people cope with stuff that they've gone through. Like, for instance, in Becoming, when she's telling her mom and she's coming out as being a vampire slayer, people can use that for coming out of the closet. So, like, there's so many different things that they can kind of put in situations that – Kind of like what you were saying about um, Angel and being Angelus. We all know that that's not who Angel is. We all know that Angel didn't sleep with her because he wanted to get some. He actually loved her. Um, but they use those metaphors in times where people can relate to it. Mm-hmm. If everything has a dual meaning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's also just really interesting that they have a conversation about Angel not being able to have kids when they mentioned earlier in the episode that one of the bad consequences for sex is pregnancy. So it's like the show Mm -hmm. is telling you Angel can't have kids, so that bad consequence is out of the way. What is the other bad consequence? And it's foreshadowing. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And again, like another reason Mm. for Buffy, well, for both of them to not be like panicking about if they have like lovely consensual sex like they don't have to worry about her getting pregnant Pregnant. so Mm -hmm. i just i don't think anybody is is behaving irresponsibly yeah i agree and i mean we still see buffy obviously like fighting the bad guys and rescuing people she could have been off with angel like she's still being responsible and stuff yeah and also like giles giles like actively suggest like why don't you take angel with you tonight to help and i i really doubt that giles of all people would be encouraging that if he if he thought that angel was a distraction or hindering her in a job yeah yeah we've seen him kind of nudge buffy and angel together several times over the past couple of episodes um and even like encouraging her like hey when you need a night off go hang out with angel like seeing it as a good thing something that is helpful for buffy Mm -hmm. totally Mm-hmm. Um, I I thought this was really interesting. Sorry, I keep like reading a ton, but I thought this girl had like some really good stuff um, to talk about. Mm-hmm. So she also talks about Xander in this episode. And so she says, Xander has long since boiled his egg to make it easier to take care of, which is possibly a choice connected to his own poor upbringing. He says he boiled the egg so Junior will have a thick skin, and one wonders if that's not his own sense of how he's coped with the boiling that's happened to him at home. Buffy's slayer duties are going to make it difficult for her to maintain a relationship going forward. Xander's fears about his own upbringing and the effect it will have on him will lead him to call off his own wedding at the last minute. 
And they said Xander's later decision to feed on his own young is particularly interesting in this context because Xander fears that he will use his marriage and his children for his own gain, destroying them in the process. So I think this is another example of Xander self-sabotaging because Mm -hmm. of his horribly abusive past, as we find out with his parents. And I think that like Xander's behavior to his egg in this episode is a direct correlation of how he's been treated himself by his Mm -hmm. own parents his own family. So he makes him a much more empathetic and compassionate character. Um, And then they made the really interesting correlation of Willow. They said, Willow, on the other hand, has no such obstacle and will be completely taken over by her relationship to the point where it's impossible for her to function without it. And I was like, Mm. she's completely taken over by the little baby alien, like the little egg. And it's metaphor for later on with Tara, where she completely is swallowed up in her identity with Tara and even Oz to a certain extent. um, And to the point where she uses magic. And I thought that that was just a really clever metaphor. Mm -hmm. Anyway, all this, all this stuff to stew about. I was like two 30 in the morning last night and was like, Oh my gosh, I need to go to bed, but this is all like this good stuff. I mean, like, and it just goes to show, I mean, I'm not going to say like bad eggs is like the the epi- epitome of like amazing episodes, but I still think it shows that like even the worst episodes of Buffy have amazing stuff in them that um, yeah. just really apply to the rest of the show. Yeah. Oh, also one thing I forgot and have now remembered, there's in that scene with uh, <laughs> Buffy and Angel talking about her future, she's like, I killed my goldfish. And then Angel kills Willow's mm. goldfish. I have I, that's probably oh, not intentional yeah. at all, but I noticed it. <laughs> oh, yeah, it. or like um, when she's in her room and like the little spider thing goes up the wall and she throws the um, scissors at it. I just got like Faith vibes in season three with like the mayor and yes. like those like yeah. little and she throws the knife at the wall to kill it. Well, and I think it's interesting that Lyle actually comes back in Homecoming and tries to kill Buffy and Cordelia, and then it's actually mm-hmm. Cordelia who goes up. It makes sense why her speech to him is so much so powerful because she goes, you know, if um, you're so afraid of the Slayer, essentially, like how terrifying do you think that I am going to be? And then he like he's like, all right, that's it, peace out. I believe you. <laughs> Just scurries mm-hmm. off. But I think it's also like something that's accurate with this character because he runs away in this episode and he runs away in that one if it was a different vampire I'd be like that's such a cop out but we we've seen that he's a coward and so it makes sense that he would be a coward in this episode and that he'd be a coward in the next one yeah i kind of slightly feel sorry for him because his like brother tector dies in this one and then his like wife dies in the other one and then he just like runs away he needs to stop bringing partners to this town yeah i know yeah i seriously was about to say girlfriend then all i heard here in my voice was wife wife wife. (laughs) (laughs) also Cordy's outfit is so cute in this one it's one of my favorite Cordy outfits where she wears like the button-up white with like the leather skirt and like the little vest over so cute and her teddy bear backpack so funny Mm -hmm. did you guys have a teddy bear backpack is that before your time i did but i think it's before their time Oh, they would, yeah, I would want to have one. That's kind of cool. You could bring them back. Everything 90s is back. It's true. true. Um, so the last thing I had was um, one of the first things that Angelus does at, at the very beginning of the episode. So right after Buffy whoops Lyle 
like whips his butt at the very beginning and he like leaves and says this ain't over buffy says they never call those vampires they never call or something like that i forget exactly what she says um and oh, yeah oh sure they say they'll call yeah oh yeah sure they yeah. say they'll call well one of the first things that angelus does to torture buffy is not call her after they sleep together mm-hmm. my heart yeah <laughs> yeah just to like rip all our hearts <laughs> out. Her. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> I should have ended on a higher note. <laughs> but I think that's everything. Do you have anything else, Max? No, I think we've we covered it. Yeah, we did. We did cover <laughs> it. We probably covered like everything for the rest of season two. We don't even need to record anymore. Like, yeah. we're done. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, well, thanks again, Bex. This was really fun, and we should definitely do this again. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for inviting me and having me and just letting me talk about Buffy and Angel. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. <laughs> Obviously. Not sure I added anything to this episode, but I've had a lovely time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, before we leave, actually, I have a question for you guys. Okay, so Joyce was in this episode pretty heavily. So we like to do a little thing at the end where it's called What Would Dawn Do? So if imagine if Dawn was in this episode, what do you think she would be doing? I personally think that she would specifically be shown like – in the mall scene and be like particularly upset that Buffy didn't. Cause like, I feel like when Joyce had her go pick up like a dress, I feel like uh, Dawn would also be like, Oh, can you pick this up for me too? And then we'd get super pissed when Buffy came back. Cause she's like, ah, if I did that mom would ground me instantly and kind of would egg the mom on to ground Buffy. Or I could see her being like when Joyce mentions like the outfit, like being like a streetwalker. I can like Dawn like picking up on the bandwagon and be like, yeah, your outfits are so ridiculous. And then just kind of like roasting her. I think Dawn would definitely be stealing stuff in the mall. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> oh, Little klepto. Yeah, I can totally imagine her like playing off Buffy and Joyce's, you know, of, of their butting heads and like Buffy's the bad one and I'm the really good one. I can I yeah. <laughs> like I imagine that she must like she must know that Angel is like sneaking up to the window all the time like I'm going to tell mom. Mhm. No. Oh, yeah. I, also, oh, yeah. I also imagine that Dawn would have had a massive crush on Angel. I know I'm, I'm I might be biased oh, but yeah. like yeah. That's canon, but <laughs> why wouldn't everyone have a crush yeah. on Angel? I'm pretty sure Joyce would have a crush on Angel. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, okay. So I bet you like Buffy would have like caught Dawn stealing something at the mall and then held it over her head and said, I will tell mom if you tell her that Angel's sneaking up to the window. So they both have like this thing that they're like holding against each other. Yeah, I, okay, true. Yeah, I would have, I would also gather that like Dawn probably would have instantly been in Buffy's room after she heard her like clinging around and that's what caused Joyce to come in. So that two minute delay is Dawn actually being in there. Oh, (laughs) they knew. They knew just getting it all together. (laughs) Um, And I like to think that like uh, Dawn knows that Xander is making out with Cordelia because Dawn has a massive crush on Xander in season five. So she probably knows that he's being all weird and everything. So. Well, thanks guys so much. This has been so much fun. And as always, you can find us on Instagram, Becoming Buffy Podcast. Um, follow Bex at bangle.insurgent. And we will see you guys next time.